Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocTalk. ZocTalk is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocTalk is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc, and the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. All right. We are in a specific mood today. I don't know what's happening. I love that you say it's a specific mood, but a few moments ago you said, I'm in a mood that I cannot label or define. <laughs> it's so vague that it's a very specific level of vague, you yes. know? Oh, completely. A, you're you yeah 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 yeah. We and are both we, on the same page. By we, I mean me. Christine has to deal with this uh, in <laughs> real time. Sorry. No, don't worry. I'm with you. It's a it's a combination of sleep deprivation and also being well rested, which is why it's so vaguely specific. Because <laughs> I spent the last like two or three nights. I'm not kidding. Not sleeping at all. I like could not sleep for some oh, reason. No. And then t- last night. I only slept for a short period of time, but really deeply. So I can't tell if I'm rested or um, not. So I have had that a few times uh, in the last two days where I keep checking if I'm dreaming because I'm like, something feels weird. Like I'm not fully present and alive, which maybe I'm just vibing off of you. I'm not sure. Um, It's also our second day recording in a row, which should be interesting because Em is leaving to surprise Linda tomorrow. I'm leaving. Inside Jim's car. Oh, um. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to visit my mom or by the time you've heard this, uh, I'm, I'm already gone. (laughs) I'm already gone. (laughs) Hope you're having fun, uh, past M. 
because it's over. So. <laughs> it's all over now. Um, <laughs> um, why do you drink? Is that why you drink this week? Or is it because you don't sleep? Or is it because of the vagueness? What's the reason? I mean, quite a uh, a plethora of things <laughs> all, all in one. Uh, I Right now, the reason I drink, if I were to give my anxiety uh, a label it would be because i haven't traveled in a year and i'm literally like tomorrow gonna be on a plane so i'm wow surprisingly freaked out um but i think that's probably human nature because like i have i like my brain only knows one thing now and now i'm about to like go into the public and interact with people and i'm i've definitely developed some like like very mild agoraphobia after being quarantined this entire time and isolated. The only person outside of RJ and Allison I've seen is Eva. So I, um, it, it's kind of jarring to know I'm going to be in a huge space full of people and like I have to sit next to people and it's going to freak me out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's not fun on a regular day, let alone after <laughs> you haven't done it for a year. I'm, I'm because with of a you. pandemic. <laughs> yeah, because of danger. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm a homebody. I don't like to be social. I mean, in, under very specific circumstances, maybe, but. <laughs> well, but I definitely no, have some really. like, like germ fears now because even though I'm vaccinated, I just spent the whole year telling myself if I even like stepped outside like I might get fucking COVID so now I'm about to like go sit like in this little space of recycled air and like I know they say that like it's it's not as bad as I'm making up but like comparatively to like just sitting in my house listen I flew to you four times and you didn't seem to have a problem with that so you know because I'd have to do it I'm I'm happy that uh I'm happy you were safe, but I also am happy I didn't have to do it because that, that sounded really stressful. Well, I'm glad you're safe and uh, we're all vaccinated now. And by we're all, I mean, like you, me, Eva. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. But <laughs> The um, trifecta. The only people that matter. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, well, that's a good reason. Why do you drink? Thank you. Sorry. I... I I'm a, oh. I knew you were going to ask. I just didn't know how to segue into Segu into you asking me. So first of all, I'm drinking what? taro bubble tea because remember we talked about it recently? Yeah. So I'm drinking some taro bubble tea and it's delicious. Uh-oh, there goes my... Oh, I thought you were like doing a very like... I thought you were so into your bubble tea that you were doing like a pan or something. Yeah, the pan was dropping the computer directly into my lap and my face and my beverage. Um, I see. I thought it was like like truly meant for dramatic cinematic it's like effect old school zooming i just like throw <laughs> my body into the camera um sorry about that I'm, i would never be like a qvc presenter because clearly <laughs> i don't know how to operate myself um so this is my bubble tea mm-hmm. it's uh very good also i drink because em i have i are you, so, like, are you is it twins what no <laughs> Oh God! Sorry, I, I would take be, it. Not today. Trust me. I don't think I'd be here. I'd be like comatose somewhere, uh, <laughs> sleeping my anxiety away. But no. So the last couple of days, I've had a feeling something was wrong with Geo, and I swear it sounds <gasps> oh, yeah, so cliche. You yeah, right. Okay, so I, I it sounds so cliche, but I feel like being pregnant has made me like more in tune and like have weird dreams and be like more sure i don't know i can just like be more astute about things and something was off with geo and basically everyone was like he's fine and i was like his breath smells bad and they're like his breath it's a dog he always his breath always smells bad and i was like it's different i just knew something was wrong and you so you need I, that you need that damn pregnancy nose to sniff out the different dog breath <laughs> like well, i'm that, just saying that but that's the thing too is people were like well you're pregnant it's probably because you're sm-. and uh. i was like yeah good point but I was like, I just like yesterday he came up and like laid his head on me and I was like, something's wrong. Like he's he's a sweet dog, but he's not usually like that 
in my grill. And I just, I don't know. I feel like everyone was kind of like, okay, Christine. And so I took him to the vet and they called to check him in. And they were like, so what's wrong with him? And I was like, his breath smells. <laughs> and they were like, is he eating and walking? And I was like, yeah. And so I took him in and I felt really silly. And then they called me like 20 minutes later and they were like, his tooth is fractured. And like Aww. everything under it is like totally like rotted and infected because he broke his tooth on a bone or something. Aww. And like, and they're like, yeah, so we need to do surgery. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. So anyway, my poor baby is sick and they did blood work and they haven't given him, any, given him anything for pain or antibiotics because they're waiting on his blood work. So now I'm just like... Oh, my poor baby. But now I'm like, see, I told you guys something was wrong. These maternal instincts are kicking in. I know. Have you, have you experienced anything like that yet? Any like maternal, like any heightened emotions toward, I mean, I don't know what mater- maternal instincts are. Apparently, I don't but like, either. Like, ha- I don't know. I like to think once you become a mom, you just kind of deserve that like weird adrenaline strength. Like you should just have that 24 seven. Yeah. So, why like, am I not strong enough yet? Let me know I mean, when you lift a bus. That'd be everyone cool. keep, keeps telling me to stop lifting things. So I can't test it out <laughs> yet. So I'll let you know. <laughs> um, I did go to the doctor today or the midwife and she was like, I know you. I, she's like, I don't know you, but I know people who are pregnant tend to become suddenly very convinced that they are going to like move or redecorate their whole house or like build mm. a building and i was like yeah i did kind of just buy like six pieces of furniture and decide i knew how to install chandeliers and she was like you need to cool it is what she said what's um, the psychology to that like trying to like control something I think that it's you're scared like, of i think it's like nesting which is like the worst word ever but it's like you're trying to like make your home oh like see i would think of, see because i am not in a place anyway that i want a child uh congratulations by the way which is fascinating Um, because you keep saying you're the one who's always like oh i have a plan for all my future children it's 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 not right now i do have a big plan when i'm ready you're like way more organized and prepared than i am you're just like give me a minute wild is like i fucking love kids and like kids love me like i there i've never met a kid that like we weren't homies by the end of the day like i'm like i'm cool with babies and all that but like the idea of like being responsible to keep it alive for the rest of my life absolutely well, you, not can you not say that to me right now i'm oh right you, okay sorry i'm just kidding <sighs> we have a show um, to record. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but what was i gonna say oh i would i would be rearranging everything because like i'm gonna go i'm gonna be full-blown panic stricken when i find out that i'm gonna have a kid and i would be doing that as like distractions oh yeah i mean there's plenty of that there's plenty of yahtzee on my phone and uh, other fun things <laughs> that keep my mind at bay um but definitely a lot of projects and since i was so sick for 13 weeks suddenly you're like i have energy again i'm gonna oh yeah build a fence like i I don't know it's really ridiculous i'm trying to learn how to garden i don't know i've just become a weird person you're becoming a mom yeah well too bad my 16 year old sister is coming over and teaching me how to garden so i'm like i guess (laughs) she's the mom like i don't really know um anyway it's really not that interesting except my poor baby geo my firstborn is sick and his tooth is ouchy and they showed it to me and it looks really ouchy and so i just have to wait for him to get his little surgery next week but anyway that's my news (laughs) sorry that's why i drink you can just uh give him a little straw of peanut butter he'll have a good time and it's soft it won't hurt his teeth i know i've been giving him like little yeah soft things um we don't eat meat, so we don't have meat in the house, which I'm sure he hates. But That poor dog. Um, that poor dog, I know. <laughs> but peanut butter is always a winner. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. 
Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly, this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space. They also just launched a new standing desk, co-pilot with adjustable height, a durable scratch-resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever. I'm in the market for a new desk, um, so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark. And of course, there's Burroughs Legacy seating collections like the Nomad and Range, now available in new colors. And M and I, that's like the only piece of furniture I think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department. Love that thing. And that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. All right. Well, I've got a story for you. Um, I was going to try to relate it to Geo, but I have no idea how I would do that. Um <laughs> It's going to try to sagu really nicely and it's just not going to happen. So uh, this is something I'm shocked I haven't covered yet, but this is the Kraken. <gasps> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I like know nothing. I know like the Kraken. That's about it. I feel like I, not to like give like a sour review of my own research, but like, I feel like I learned some things and then also learned nothing. Like, I feel like we all kind of have the same, like, collective consciousness of what the kraken is like even after you've done the research yeah i was like oh so we're i was kind of (laughs) right so we've all come back full circle to our starting point okay (laughs) so but there i mean there's a this is more the history of the kraken and you know what it does the kraken exist so i don't even totally understand what it is so i feel like i'm gonna learn something today all i knew going into this was uh see oh his little mouth is working though that's the thing is like i couldn't take him sorry hang on okay he's saying my teeth hurt (laughs) (laughs) peanut butter yeah uh um he's being a a little cutie pie scorpio look he's trying to get all the attention from you he can't until there's a whole ass baby in your (laughs) hand i think he probably knows you the other day someone on instagram well a few a lot of people on instagram said like oh my god imagine if it's a scorpio it'll be the first scorpio m loves and i'm like has everyone forgotten about giovanni and has everyone forgotten too that gio and i fucking hated each other when we first met everyone's like wow so you like made an exception for one scorpio i was like i got broken down into that yeah yeah that was like psychological warfare on his part it was proximity effect i think because like (laughs) that dog could not have hated me more when we first met wait that's so cute i mean it's not cute but it is cute now (laughs) it'll be cute again i guess quote if your baby is a scorpio and it just fucking hates me for three years and then (laughs) and then we're tight Oh, I see what's happening. Our new litter box is getting delivered. It's getting delivered. It was delivered a day late. So Gio probably has a feeling I'm buying presents for the cats. Oh, God. Um, 
not for again him, but... he's feeling like he doesn't have attention <laughs> just saying the cats get a present what else is new um right. anyway sorry that's why he's not in daycare because of his teeth i just wanted to clarify that um i see he is a uh, home today work from home today <laughs> okay so the kraken so my my memory before i did this research my my thought of the kraken was just like I don't know why, but in my mind, green, uh, mm-hmm. sea like sea monster. I always thought of like Cthulhu, like just like yeah. this like little like floaty alien tentacle guy. Same. Um, I still kind of feel that way. Um, okay. <laughs> he is not as massive in size anymore as my original thoughts were, but that's the only thing that's really changed. Uh, and also, I will. I've seen people actually reach out and ask if I would one day cover Cthulhu. So one day, but that's not today. Interesting. Maybe this is his uh, his origin story. Sorry. Are you one of the people who gets like the actual little balls in your tea? Yeah, it's bubble tea. What do you think? Ugh, I asked for That's it without what bubble that. T- without boba? I yeah, I literally get what? boba tea. What's the point? The boba. I, honestly, the point is it's tea after all the other tea places I go to have closed for the night. <laughs> You're not a bubble tea person? No. For my, for my birthday last year, Eva got me a boba making kit. I love it. It's like my favorite activity. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I Well, it just feels like I'm just like chewing on jello while drinking tea. Exactly. That's the point. <laughs> Not my jam. All right. So uh, the Kraken. So some stories of sea monster, some stories of this sea monster go all the way back to um, AD 77. The year 77. What? Um, by Pliny, Pliny, the elder. From oh, yeah. Rome. Pliny. I, I learned Pliny. this from Sawbones. I, or Pliny, I think, but the, the, it's technically supposed to be Pl- Pliny. Pliny? Okay. No, Pliny. Wait, shit. Clearly, <laughs> I didn't learn it at Did, all. I was going to say, didn't learn it well. <laughs> well, I need to pay more attention, clearly. Um, I apologize. That's okay. Pliny or Pl- Pliny? Pliny. Big P. Um, Big P. <laughs> the, elder the elder from Rome. So, <laughs> he, he wrote... Uh, this uh this work called the creature that came from the ocean and basically said this is like the very first reference we can come up with of a sea monster in general at least uh for this for this region because there's the interesting thing about the kraken is it's kind of this universally understood uh cryptid at this point because people have been talking about it for hundreds and hundreds of years and so there's like scandinavian lore there's Mm. german lore there's greek lore there's roman lore so for rome rome at least the uh first text is in the year 77 by big p and (laughs) he says that uh this monster used to be seen when it would show up near all the pickling pickling yikes pickling near up all the pickling tubs where people would leave their fish to brine and this monster would come up and eat the fish um okay I get it. He has some sardines. Yeah, he's just like like me at the pickle barrel at the grocery store. It's like know? me with pickled herrings and you running in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, that's exactly it. And also, especially the part me running away. <laughs> um, so apparently, one night when it uh, went up to the pickling tubs, the dogs surrounded it, and the people in town actually saw it up close for the first time. And this is a quote uh, about its its description: the size of the polypus was enormous beyond all conception and then it was covered all over with dried brine and exhaled a most dreadful stench at one instant it would drive off the dogs by its horrible fumes and lash at them with its strong arms Mm. 
Um, and I paraphrased there at the end. It was really long, but basically it would lash out with its strong arms. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can follow that. It was apparently so massive and strong that it could barely be taken down by three spears at a time. And its head alone was as big as 15 amphorae, which apparently is jars of wine. <laughs> That's a lot of wine. So, uh, and apparently it also had a beard, which I'm confused well, by. That's fun. It's a big old Squidward with a beard. Why not? Uh, so later on, after it was slain, uh, they ended up saying that its remains were 700 pounds. <gasps> oh my. Just to give you an idea of how big this guy is. So now we time travel uh, away from year 77. And now we're in year 1180. And this is when, like, that that was probably the most... Uh, the earliest reference at all of the Kraken, but in 1180 is when we start really hearing about the Kraken, which by the way, makes it like one of the longest known and longest, uh, seriously, the cryptid that has longest been, uh, researched on if it exists at all. Okay. So in 1180, it starts in Nordic folklore and, uh, there's some references to sea monsters, but we really, uh, see it, only a couple decades later in the 13th century, there's this Icelandic story called the Sa- the Sega saga of Orvar Oder. And it's this character where him and his son have to face these two beasts at different mm-hmm. points in the story. And the two monsters are called Hafgufa and Lingbacher. And Hafgufa is apparently translated to sea mist. And Lingbacher is uh translated to heatherback fun fact i sound like pokemon sea mist they do they do right (laughs) um and so in this story the father and son have to fight off the hafgufa and the lingbacher and both of them seem to have different traits of what we later think of as the kraken so i don't know if one was supposed to be the literal kraken or if um just different characteristics of both of them ended up Mm. becoming part of the lore so for example the lingbacher is uh it's said that every time people would get on the lingbacher's back because it was so massive you could just basically stand on it that's fun oh my god i forgot that it's thursday the fucking i was just about to say i don't don't know if you hear it outside but like we have like trash coming up and down the streets clearly there's a reason no it's not your fault we have the same thing going on here and i keep worrying that it's too loud thursday is gardening day apparently yeah, that was a gardening day at my old house, and we recorded every Thursday anyway, so <laughs> clearly we haven't learned our fucking lesson. <laughs> anyway, sorry if I have to pause it when he he's going to get r- real close and personal at some point. So, Oh, I remember him. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, okay, so for example, Lingbacher, he was so big that people could just like stand on him and just like apparently ride him if he That's wanted to. That's fun. I don't think Lingbacher liked this, but well, someone should have asked for consent, if, but yeah. Well, apparently, uh, one of the things that he does is if you were to get on his back, he then tries to, like, shake you off or he'll go underwater to almost, like, suck you into the water. Wow, how fun. Why would you ever get on that? It's like a bull ride, like a rodeo bull. It's like a a bull ride plus a an ocean vortex where you get sucked into this uh the forces of whirlpools plus like an actual sea monster trying to murder you (laughs) right i forgot about that but yeah so and that ends up being a part of the lore of the kraken it over time it kind of evolves but the the big thing is the kraken is so big that 
it could it, it sucks you down into the water. Oh boy. Um, also in Greek mythology, Odysseus um, had to sail past a six-headed beast called Scylla, Scylla, and or Scylla maybe. I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, basically every region has their own version of a sea monster, and so all of them are kind of this weird mishmash of what becomes the kraken. I see. Um, so the word kraken comes from Old Norse, uh, the term at kraka, which apparently means to drag down, which is what this thing like it drags you into the water. And kraki has to do with like anchors on a boat or something. Mm-hmm. Also, in German, crack is octopus, right? Uh, yeah, like kraka, kraka, something. Yeah, like obviously, that. exactly like that, that. Makes a lot of sense. I guess I never really thought about that uh, as being actually related to the kraken. kraken? octopus in german weirdly one of the words i didn't seem to learn before i turned five <laughs> the kraken without the n yeah the kraken mm-hmm. damn you say it's so cool octopus or kraken so take <laughs> well, your pick and a lot of theories which i'll get into it later but a, a hefty majority uh or not a hefty majority but a close runner-up to the hefty majority is that people think that this could actually just be uh, an octopus oh um so that would make sense why they would name it that. So now the Kraken is kind of just starting in like the 1300s and still really until now, it's just this umbrella understanding of like this tentacled monster that is known to be violent in some way to people out at sea. And so by 1250, there's another Norwegian text that says it's called the Konungsskuggsia. Skuggsia. Oh Beautiful. I literally have a friend uh, that was raised in Norway and could just pronounce these things for me. And I didn't even ask. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, <laughs> Does she listen to the show? I hope not. No, it's Reno. I, she's, I know. <laughs> she's doing her own. I didn't know if we were thing. throwing her name out there. Oh, no. But I've heard her speak, uh, like, speak the language. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I don't even know if I could pronounce a single word. So no, I don't. It's probably for the best. I didn't even ask. But anyway, so this Norwegian text, uh, it says that there could have only been two krakens to exist or two sea monsters that would have existed because they were so massive that, first of all, apparently they couldn't reproduce. But even if they could, they were so massive that there was not enough like food in their general vicinity that they would have been able to survive and grow Oh my, that's unfortunate. But then that makes me think like, how did the first ones get there? That's a very good question. So, uh... Although the Kraken uh, is now finally gaining recognition, one of his downfalls is he was not included in this one book from the fifth, the late 1500s called the Historiae Animalium, which was basically this encyclopedia, which I don't know if it exists anymore, but I fucking need a copy of it. It's an encyclopedia that talked about all known creatures, whether or not they actually were real. So I think I remember. I think I've heard about this. I, we must have talked about it on a different. Maybe I there's. Think like, you've talked about it. Maybe like Nessie or someone was mentioned in there, but uh, or maybe um, what's it called? Oh shit! What's it called? What's it? Uh, the German one, Tutselworm. Oh oh oh, maybe I think that's your. I, I feel think you're like right. maybe around that time you talked about it. I'm not positive, well, but look, you've got the maternal instincts kicking in, so I'm just gonna <laughs> about the Tutselworm. <laughs> you were able to smell Geo's breath and think of the Tutselworm on the spot, so maybe <laughs> oh, you're no. onto something. 
but yeah, so anyway, so it's this text that like it's all known animals, including those that have just been discovered and we don't know too much about them mm. or rumored like mythical creatures. That's very cool. So you would think the Kraken, who at this point is the 1500s, it's already been mentioned on and off for the last 400 years, didn't even get put in the book. And unicorns oh. got put in the book. So, oh. <laughs> which, by the way, were described as wild asses. So, which I think Ouch. is hysterical. Well, that's rude. Uh, they are kind of wild. I, in terms of like my brain breaking when I think about them, maybe it's a thing. <laughs> also, realistically, the reason the Kraken wasn't included in some of the volumes is because um, I guess in some of the volumes they didn't list uh, maritime animals, like nautical animals. Oh. And then other people say, no, no, the Kraken always was mentioned in it. He just didn't go by that name. It just, he was generally listed under Sea Serpent. So, so if Man, you look at- the debate is roaring, I, I see. Okay. <laughs> since the 1500s, we can't solve it. But, oh my God. But anyway, like in, in theory, uh, if you're just looking up Sea Serpents and he does fall into that category, then yes, he got mentioned, but not a standalone post. Got it. So in 1555, there's this guy named Olaus Magnus who wrote about this monster that had, quote, sharp and long horns round about like a tree root up by the roots. Okay. That was the next cameo we get of a sea monster. (laughs) And then in the 1700s, at this point, the Kraken is a household name in a lot of places, especially Norway, since that's kind of where most of the um, original lore started. But now the stories are starting to kind of twist into the fact that the kraken will eat a whole like ship of people and then it's becoming this like sailor uh sailor lore of like when you're out at sea the kraken's gonna get you it's just like a casual upgrade that suddenly he's eating entire boats like yeah he was a little scary and some dogs ran away and now suddenly he's swallowing ships he was just he was just eating some briny fish by the seashore and now all of a sudden that's right well, and to be fair, they did say he didn't have enough food. So what do you expect? He's looking wherever he can get it. He's hungry. But I guess now he's mad because he wasn't mentioned in the history. I would be mad too. My so friend. he's like, time to I get time it. to uh, square up. I'm hungry and I wasn't in that book. So watch out, world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for you. Kraken is making his name. So in the uh, so yeah, by the 1700s, people are kind of uh, shaping the story into the Kraken is a a threat a fun fact before we stop uh, before we keep going i wanted to say that my favorite kraken fact is uh i forgot this earlier and i just don't want to miss the opportunity near the north sea they found resin-like fossils that are allegedly kraken poop and i thought <gasps> that was very fun i don't know how that on earth they cool. got to that place i definitely did not do a deep dive where i should have but i saw that and i was like oh, oh it's going in the notes that's like for sure you and i as any sort of scientist like i bet <laughs> i know what this is write it down <laughs> exactly it's like oh it's poop it's obviously bigfoot's poop um it's obviously not a normal animal it's a unicorn it's a, a wild ass it, it's it's mothman sweat or something Ooh. Um, ooh, swanky. Oh la la. <laughs> Say less. So um okay. So yeah, so uh this is when he's getting big, and around this time the Kraken has also made his presence or his uh his notoriety notoriety known in uh other countries. And okay. the 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 general threat that he does is that either he takes his big tentacle arms and right. he either swats or pushes down on the ship and capsizes the ship and then you end up in the water Uh or he's like 
Shamu and like eats the entire ship, including Open you. Open up. Once. Open yeah. wide. Okay. What was the what was the whale's name in Pinocchio? It started with an M. Oh, I don't Monstro. Moby Dick? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, Pinocchio scared me, so I only watched half of it and then never saw it again. I I had to turn it off when he turned into a wild ass, a literal donkey, remember? No, I'm telling you, I didn't watch it. Uh, he it literally turns me. the cartoon one when he starts turning into a donkey. Why? Uh, oh, the, oh, 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 I thought you meant a unicorn. Yeah, I do remember the donkey part. <laughs> I mean, a literal wild ass, not a, not a fancy unicorn I see, version. I see. No, because like he was like on the land. That he was, was frightening. On an island of bad boys or something and bad boys turn into asses, I think that was, was like freaky. the adult message that I took from it. But yeah, I remember watching him transform and I was just so beyond petrified. I had to turn it's it off. It's horrifying. I do remember that actually. Ugh. So how did we get on donkeys? You oh, Monstro. More of a dick Monstro. Yeah. So yeah. So it basically just kind of like takes the entire ship down and you go down with it. But the, the main thing is that either its arms will like it's lying underneath your ship and then its arms will kind of just grab up and pull you down or wow. that um, people often think like the original 13th century lore it's so big that they think it's an island or maybe they can like dock their boat on it or something and so then it will pull down really fast and create this vortex in the water and basically you get whirlpooled in and you just disappear forever um cool 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 one of the two so in 1735 kraken has apparently stepped it up with his with the word on the street of how scary he is. And so now, even though he wasn't mentioned in that first text, he's now mentioned by Linnaeus, who is the father of taxonomy. And he put Kraken into the very first edition of the Systema Natura, which was like the taxonomical breakdown of all organisms. Mm. So I think it was like the kingdom phylum class, the genus species Mm -hmm. thing that we all learned in in like eighth grade. Uh, So I think the Kraken got his own scientific name, Hmm. uh yes okay so according to this taxonomy breakdown that he got put into he is technically a cephalopod which is a Mm -hmm. cuttlefish octopus squid kind of situation sure and the his scientific name is microcosmus marinus which means the microcosm of the marine his manager really stepped it up i know i gotta get in this fucking book and i gotta make it big he got himself a pr team there to give himself like a like a name like that the micro oh yeah that's a superhero name to me that's pretty baller super villain so uh fun fact since he's now listed technically as a cephalopod uh, a fun fact is that the cuttlefish is actually classified under the same genus as the kraken. So in some cases, the kraken is technically a cuttlefish. That So what exactly is a cuttlefish? Because it always sounds like really cuddly, and I feel like it's probably not. I also always thought it was a, like a cuddly fish, but it's actually T's, not D's. Cuttlefish. Uh, that it's makes a, it sound a lot scarier. Cuttlefish. <laughs> like, like cuddle. Went from cutting, cuddling to cutting. Yeah. Cutting me. Yeah. It's, it, I'm looking at it. It's something I'd rather not cuddle with. No offense. I see. Um, it no offense if you're in the room with me. If you're listening to our podcast, Cuddlefish. <laughs> no cephalopods Please don't slide into our DMs. We don't want it. We don't want it. Um, okay. Oh so fun fact, technically a cuttlefish. But that's interesting to me because the cuttlefish of the three, squid, octopus, and cuttlefish, is like the least 
likely like the main theories are squid and octopus not cuttlefish even though based on original taxonomy it was more cuttlefish than the other two although a cuttlefish looks like cthulhu like with the creepy mouth have you looked at one no i will go look at it it like has these weird mouth tentacles so that i think is called its beak Um, ew because I know that makes it again like every time you think stop it is happening <laughs> it's like the worst I yeah, knew so, octopi have beaks I knew that so its beak ends up being part of uh the research that people use later there's actually this one person I forget his name now but back in like 2011 I didn't keep this in my notes back in 2011 a researcher or a paleontologist actually found a what he thinks is a prehistoric squid beak um oh. that was like crazy bigger than normal size to imply that they used to be like dinosaur sized squid which could be the kraken so which is my nightmare and also the (laughs) kraken but mostly my nightmare so uh although he the kraken made it into this first edition linnaeus i think that's his name or linnaeus Mm -hmm. he alleged he ended up regretting adding the cryptid to his data and and then took him out of future editions (gasps) Uh oh, that's not gonna make him happy. Flew too close to the sun, right there. He was mm-hmm. only in the spotlight for a short time. Too big. But in 1752, the kraken is mentioned again in a new book called "The Natural History of Norway," and the author was Bishop Eric Pontipiden. He says that the kraken has a circumference of two and a half kilometers. <gasps> Yikes! <What? laughs> Holy crap! It's, it's a big boy, and. Uh, <laughs> He also says that the Kraken is so big oh, that people mistake him for a mountain or land. And Mm -hmm. so people don't really, one of the reasons why he's such a well-hidden cryptid is because he's hiding in plain sight because you could literally be standing on him and you wouldn't know. Because a Mm -hmm. lot of people think he's an island or a mountain or something because he could just be like, half of him could be sitting up over uh, above the water and you think you're just like hanging out on a rock in the water and it's actually the Kraken. It's his booty. It's his tushy. You're sitting and on his tush. This book also says that he is so big, this, just to give you a frame of reference, quote, an entire regiment of soldiers could practice their battle maneuvers on his back. <laughs> I hope they don't, because it's I probably hope they don't. That's part of the warfare there. That's part of the training, actually, is you have That's to get away the from the psychological warfare that, yeah, that convinced you to, like, geo to a lot yeah. of the same. A lot of All the, the same, same violence. It felt like I was, you know, fighting for my life when I a battle met. on a kraken. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where my brain my brain is kind of fried right now. I apologize. We we missed the chance earlier, but I'm going to go back to when we were saying that people were sitting on his tushy. We're, you were sitting on the kraken's crack. Damn it! You're so I'm so glad you came up with that because people would have tweeted it. It was a delayed, but the kraken's crack is absolutely something I needed to shout out anyway. <laughs> crack so, of the kraken. I mean, yeah. it has a nice ring to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm saying. So, no? No? okay. I, I think so. So the book also tells of the story of a man that had accidentally ended up on the back of the kraken. The crack of the kraken. The back and side of the kraken. <laughs> and uh his name or he was the bishop of Mideros and the bishop thought that the kraken was an island when really the kraken was sleeping and so he was hanging out on the kraken i guess and he went there for a mass with his church and apparently in this story the kraken was polite enough and respectful enough to wait for the mass to end and for everybody to leave before he went off on his merry way so apparently he's religious or respectful of religion 
Uh, How open-minded. How open-minded of him. Do you pride yourself on finding the best deals and savings? Yes, it's me. I'm raising my hand. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. Get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every single category, including fashion, beauty, home essentials, travel, dining, and so much more. Shop brands like Macy's, Adidas, YSL Beauty, Samsung Petco, just to name a few. Plus, membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Cashback rates change daily. Here's how it works. Stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers, and then Rakuten shares a commission with its members via check or PayPal quarterly. And you better believe how exciting it is when your PayPal alerts you that you've gotten money. It's no wonder Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. Or get the Rakuten app to start saving today. Your cashback really adds up. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Uh, so the same author also described the kraken as, quote, round, flat, and full of arms or branches, and the largest and most surprising of all the animal creation. Oh, so okay. He's stepping it up in, in the books again. Yeah. So also in the around this time, the kraken was, was such a popular monster that he was also now included in the UK's first modern scientific survey of the natural world. Mm. Fun fact. And then 30 years later in the 1780s, uh, Jacob Wallenberg wrote about the Kraken in his own story where he says, quote, Kraken stays, the Kraken stays at the sea floor, constantly surrounded by innumerable small fishes who serve as his food and are fed by him in return for his meal lasts no longer than three months. And after three uh, and another three then are needed to digest it. So every six months, the Kraken <laughs> feeds, basically. Oh, Okay. And apparently there's some weird situation with his throat where he does this belching motion that has it serves a few purposes. And one is that when he belches or it stretches his throat enough to catch all of these fish. But then something else happens where the grub that the grub that he breathes out afterwards feeds the rest of the fish nearby. That was kind of the understanding I had. Oh, my. (laughs) So... But so he lures in fish in this way. And so, um, but one of the other ways that apparently the Kraken is uh, rumored to get his food by wire.com, no less. 
The Kraken has, quote, a strong and peculiar scent which can emit at certain times and by means of which it draws other fish to many old fishermen. Uh, it's evacuation poop. It's color. It colors the surface of the water, which appears quite thick and turbid. Ew. Basically, he shits all over the ocean. And then it's <laughs> so thick and colorful, it lures the fish in. Why? <laughs> it's a bad taste fish. Quote, this muddiness, muddiness, goodbye, oh is God. said to be so agreeable to the smell or taste of other fishes that they gather together from all parts and keep, and for that purpose, directly over the kraken. So basically, they... Lo- they're going fucking crazy it's like catnip for them but it's poop and they find the kraken and then he quote opens his arms or horns apparently he's got fucking horns too Uh-oh. and uh he seizes and swallows his welcome guests and converts them after due time by digestion into bait for other fish of the same kind so that is the so two he just ways- keeps pooping them out and then drying them back in eating and pooping That's horrifying eating and pooping. yep yep so that's the two ways, either the belching thing, maybe it's a combination where he does the poop thing and brings them in. And then with the belching thing, he stretches around them and eats them. But those are the ways that we think the Kraken probably catches its food. And because it takes them like three months to digest, you don't have to worry about it after the Kraken has eaten recently. But how do we know? How we know, I'm going to guess an answer for you because it kind of goes with the next point I was going to say, which is that because... The Kraken draws in all these fish. A lot of fishermen want to find the Kraken or want to find this Uh. huge source of fish. And so I would imagine wherever the fish are the most popular is where that's how you know that the Kraken's about to eat. Maybe if the water looks really fucking gnarly because he's pooping everywhere. But so the point I was going to make, though, is since the fishermen are always trying to follow the fish and the fish are always following the kraken, it really perfectly sets up this continual lore of, like, the the kraken could always be nearby because sure. you're, you're literally trying to find the source of the kraken. It's like danger zone when you're exactly. fishing out there. Exactly. So um, the kraken is also said, uh, oh, violent belch. I already did that. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, we can go over it again. We could talk. Uh, Geo also has a violent belch, especially now with his little stinky breath. He certainly does. I'm not going to deny that. I love Geo burps, though. Not the not the smell, but the sound. They're no, very he interesting. He just kind of goes, <laughs> like, uh, and he does it in your face. Like he'll w- crawl up to you, like, and you think he's trying to like cuddle with you, and he he won't even open his mouth. He'll just go like uh, <laughs> directly in your face. <laughs> it's very rude. <laughs> Um, okay, so the lore also seems to imply, I've said this earlier, that the Kraken likes to take down ships with its arms or make whirlpools. Um, and so as of like the 1800s, that is the firm understanding of how the Kraken will get you. It's either the arms, like in like those, like, not that there are many to, to date, but in my mind, there have been at least one or two childhood sea movies where there's some horrible massive creature in the sea and it's almost like tentacle latches on from one side of the ship tentacle latches on from the other oh, side yeah. of the ship and so Whoop. that and the whirlpool vortex thing are just understood by the 1800s that's how it will get you Got it. um and in 1848 the ship the ship called the da- daedalus daedalus it says that it saw this creature firsthand and the sailors say that the creature was 60 feet long Ooh. um which to me though 60 feet long is still not oh by the way for um reference i looked up 
a school bus, which apparently <laughs> school buses are 45 feet long, just to give you a reference. Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't seem as big as like... I thought this thing was like Godzilla of the sea. Well, they said like, two and a half kilometers, like... I know. I I but in my head I just kind of always ignored any numbers that came my way about it and I was just like this thing is a fucking Goodyear blimp. No, but like, what I'm just... saying is two and a half kilometers is like half a five K. Like that's fucking massive. Not the size of a school bus. Apparently, um so diff so different stories say different things, but apparently the farther back in time you go, the bigger it is. So I think that's why I always thought that it was massive, because whenever I think of like a horror story at sea it's always kind of old-timey in my head anyway but apparently as time goes on and we have more and more modern science the kraken has gotten smaller and smaller okay because um, like how many feet did you say 60 feet 60 feet okay i just looked it up two and a half kilometers that's eight thousand two hundred and two feet so like yeah that is i think difference. also if you think about because i have this is like just a random ignorant opinion but i would imagine at a time when people were writing stories like the odyssey and shit like when like i don't think it i don't know if it was more believable or not but i feel like it was just kind of expected that monsters were this crazy outlandish godlike mm -hmm. you know otherworldly beings and so i feel like since the story was kind of getting thrown all over the region with those kind of mindsets then mm -hmm. maybe they were bigger and scarier. I don't really know. But basically, as we've been trying to prove it more and more, and science has been like, there's nothing that big, the story I of see. the size begins to diminish. It becomes more of an octopus and less of yeah. a kraken. Yeah. So back in, you know, Greek mythology times or 77 AD, this thing was like the biggest thing on Earth. Right. But now we've gotten all the way to the 1850s and it's only 60 feet. I see. Okay. Probably just because as time goes on, it needs to be become more and more realistic to believe. I'm not sure. But yeah. so anyway, so the ship dealt with the sea creature and the sailors said it was about 60 feet. But apparently Sir Richard Owen, I don't know if he was on the ship and was one of the sailors or if he just like came in and mansplained the situation without <laughs> being there. He, in fact, was the person who invented the word dinosaur. Sorry, what? Really? Sir Richard Owen was the man who invented the word dinosaur. I mean, good for him to not say Owen sore, because I would like for sure name it after <laughs> myself. Because <laughs> she for sore. I feel like <laughs> that's such a good point. Like, damn, if I created something as badass as the word dinosaur, yeah, right? my name would absolutely be in there. I would regret that for the rest of my life. Like, shit, I didn't. If I knew this term would become so big, I would have uh, put my name in there. He's probably thinking the same thing. So. Uh, Sir Richard Owen, he created the word Owensor, really. <laughs> That's what he told his friends at the Barleys. Yeah, uh, poor Owen. But so he said, like, oh, this story about the sailor seeing this 60-foot monster, it was not a 60-foot monster, it was probably a seal. And then <laughs> the cap the captain was like, fuck you, we know what a seal looks like. Like, this wasn't a seal. Seriously. But apparently it terrified the entire ship and they were they like swore up and down this kraken-like creature was in the water. And up until now, uh, because the size is slowly getting smaller and smaller, but we haven't really covered the actual definition of what this thing looks like beyond the fact that it has tentacles. Right. True. Um, so up until now, so from 77 AD or maybe more or less like the 13th century, all the way up until the mid 1800s, this thing has been described as everything under the sun. 
So this, the Kraken was uh, very crab-like to some people. It was like this massive crab. Some people said it was a massive lobster. I think they were just going with whatever animal they knew that existed in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. And a lot, there were a lot of stories that just called it this misshapen mass, quote. And so I think over time, it just kind of morphed into just general sea serpent, um, mm-hmm. especially probably because it was mentioned as a sea serpent in the in that book forever ago. Yeah. Um, so everyone had a different opinion, but only until the 1850s did people settle on what this thing looked like, which, by the way, explains why all over the goddamn world for years and years and years, everyone had an encounter with this thing because they were just having encounters with sea creatures and it. It could have been anything of any size. Could have been a fucking lobster. (laughs) And you're like, man, this Kraken really had me. Um, (laughs) So only up until this point was it super massive, super powerful, and could have looked like anything. But now by the 1850s, only now is when we're officially deciding that this creature is a squid-like creature. I see. So this happens in 1857. There's a plot twist because all of a sudden this random cephalopod creature was found on a beach and after studying its beak, uh, this became the first documented giant squid. Okay. Okay. And maybe because it was the most mysterious thing to come out of the ocean yet, they were like, ah, this thing's the fucking guy we've been talking about. But they were like, Kraken? Yes? Okay, so that's what this is. We're just going to call ah. it the Kraken. So, um, and it's it was this giant squid in the 1857. And it ended up being classified as, uh, its scientific name was Archituthis ducks. <laughs> and sounds like a drunk person invented that. <laughs> it does not sound real. But also, this is uh, another step up for the Kraken because now he's officially written back into science. Oh, he's back, baby. After Come everything, back. he's been written in a bunch of stories. He's been written in a bunch of texts as a mythical creature. But now, because a creature that we're calling the Kraken or calling a Kraken like animal has been written into science. He has now planted himself rudely into like, I exist. But since we're talking about giant squid, I wanted to ask you, do you know the difference between a squid and an octopus? Oh, no. Uh. I used to, I've always heard that um, Squidward is actually an octopus, not a squid. Well, octopi have eight tentacles, I guess, right? But so do squid, apparently. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, Octopi. I have the answer. Don't worry. One of them have ink squid Shit. have ink squids have ink do well, maybe I, I don't know if octopi have ink i think i know i thought that was just a squid thing. i don't know em so i uh squids are bullet shaped with fins because they and the reason for this is because they actually swim more okay and they have they have eight legs and they have two tentacles so the difference is if they have eight legs and uh, two tentacles okay and if you ever look at Squidward, he has six legs that he walks on and two arms. So technically, <gasps> he has ah. a full eight legs and no tentacles. And therefore, <gasps> he is technically an octopus. Okay. But so if you like, he's bullet shaped with fins. And they also have uh, apparent. I don't know if this is real. This doesn't feel right. But apparently, they only have tentacles on the tips like or uh, suction cups on the tips of their tentacles versus octopus uh, octopi oh, have it on their yeah because if you eat calamari which i of, don't oh well then never <laughs> mind but uh, a lot of it is just it's not like tentacled but oh. octopus usually is well there you have it so um 
again, they have this the the bowl shape and the fins. It's because they swim more versus uh, octopi who live on the sea floor. Oh. And so they don't need uh, the extra tentacles or fins to swim around. They don't need the bullet shape to be more uh, to move faster through the they water. They just show off like they're, they're squid. They're here for a, a long time, not a good time. I would and, agree with that. And so they, instead of having a bullet shaped body, they have a circular body and they are, um, they like are those, have that creepy thing where they can change into like literally any shape to get through the smallest hole. Oh, octopi are creepy and they're so smart. Like, yeah, I don't eat calamari or squid anymore because apparently they're like extremely intelligent animals and I feel bad about it. They are both known to be super smart. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so the reason that they have that ability where they like basically shapeshift is because since they live on the sea floor they need to be able to hide under rocks and stuff down there and so they can pretty much morph into anything it's so creepy so based on those descriptions in a sailor's story you based on however they describe it to you you can determine for yourself if the kraken is more squid or octopus but more often than not especially because now it has been listed scientifically as a giant squid people think of it as a giant squid okay so scientific american says that the giant squid the largest one on record is 18 meters, which apparently is around 60 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so not Kraken territory, but we can dream. And <laughs> uh, Wired.com says that there is an even bigger squid, uh, quote, that makes the giant squid look downright cuddly, but not a cuddlefish. That's not cuddly. quite cuddly as a cuddlefish. <laughs> uh, quote, stalking the waters of Antarctica is the colossal squid. No, Thanks. Which, while measuring about the same length as the giant squid, aka it's still only up to 60 feet, it has a more robust mantle. And also it has, instead of, uh, on its suction cup tentacles, it also has hooks. Ew! So, quote, the colossal squid is the only reason that we can assume that the kraken is more likely a giant squid versus a colossal squid, even though the colossal squid is, in theory, thicker and larger. Um, the colossal squid is super fucking lazy. Um, so like, <laughs> I wasn't it, expecting that. So like, it doesn't give a shit. Like if there was a ship full of sailors, it, the colossal squid is not going to be the one that gets you. Oh, you um, can hang out on his booty all day. You can just right. hang out on that tushy. Apparently he is literally, it's estimated that the colossal squid quote, uses up to 600 times less energy than similar sized creatures. That's incredible. That sounds like me. Yeah, it does. Uh, it sounds like, I mean, not just you, but yeah, us as a team. <laughs> I don't mean to throw you under the bus, but no, wow. I, I admit, I was like, I surely have 600% less energy than my roommate, Ralph James. Well, there. I think all of us have 600% <laughs> at least less than him. The Olympian. Yeah. We, whenever we've played our big, uh, our big quarantine outing the only time we've left the house is to go play disc golf because literally nobody you're the only people on the field and we have kind of this like more or less abandoned disc golf course near our apartment oh so there's only ever like three cars there it's like never happening like it's so you're just frothing by yourselves just frothing and so uh that's what we've been doing to get outside and away from people and we brought rj one time that man was off the goddamn walls with his energy he was like literally yeah literally like a 12 year old he was like running up to a tree and then jumping to like kick off of it and stuff and i was like i was like what is your deal like i was like get back in the car it's like why do you think i invited you to play a sport because it requires zero energy (laughs) he's like a golden retriever just fucking like running and running and running he had the zoomies he had the zoomies Zoomies. so ralph james 
Anyway, in in the worlds of uh, animals, I am the colossal squid because I... (laughs) (laughs) And like the giant squid, it sits uh, for its prey instead of runs anyone down. But in terms of energy, the giant squid would be the one that would attack. And the giant squid apparently is known to be violent. So that's what people think. You don't want to be the giant squid then. No, 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 no. So people think that's probably more likely to be the Kraken. Okay. So in 1861, the first reliably documented encounter of a ship versus monster happened where there was this uh, warship called the Alecton and it saw a, an actual giant squid and shot at it. Um, mm. And again, I don't know why they shot at it. It seems no, like you could just that. drive past it in the ocean. Uh, and one sailor actually did hit the squid and then they tried to drag it on board and all this, but this was the first interaction that we can truly fully document that, a giant squid and sailors interacted. Okay. Um, but nothing happened to the sailors. So there's Did that. Did something happen to the squid? I mean, the squid died, but that was Oh, See, that's what I hate. It's like, oh, these evil squids are like attacking humans. It's like you're literally just rolling up in its territory, shooting it and dragging it onto your... Sh- what do you mean? Like, you're the violent one. Hold on to that for two more bullets. Oh, so. No. No, you're right. Just hang in there for two more bullets and then I'll let you get all fired up. So eight years after this encounter, this is when Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea book came out, uh, which fun fact in Back to the Future Worlds, this is Dr. Emma Brown's favorite book. Mm. Um, we know it well. Mm, and, yes. <laughs> but when this book was translated into English, this is when areas near us, when our region started to see more sea monster lore. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, so thank you, Jules Verne. Truly to me, I know I mentioned this earlier, but what I think really solidified like the Kraken as we know it is uh, H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu, which Mm -hmm. came out in the 1920s. So not for another 50 years since Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues. I think the English translation came out in the 80s, the 1880s. And then then Cthulhu came out in, I think, 1928. Okay. it, that was a nice 40 years to translate that into English and really develop the sea monster lore. And then Cthulhu came out. So I think those things combined are really what got. Yeah, that makes sense. At least, at least in, and how it got translated to me, I think it started yeah. with those two works. Cause I've heard, I mean, I think most of us have heard, at least heard of those. Yeah. Both of those. And for those of you who don't know, a, a giant squid was part of the, 20,000 leagues. What if it wasn't? What if it just had (laughs) absolutely nothing to do? People were probably like, why on earth did you fucking mention that? Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. It's nothing to do. (laughs) You know, Othello. So anyway. (laughs) Othello. It sounds like Cthulhu got misspelled. Othello and Cthulhu. Can can someone uh, recreate Othello and Cthulhu together? That sounds like a big ask, but if you can do it, go for it. A cosmic sea monster, but also uh, a Shakespearean drama. Oh, how cute is that? A little octopus. Did you ever watch a show, Oswald the Octopus? I'm sorry. Are you talking like I don't fucking know Oswald okay, and, well, his, and his dachshund weenie? Okay, because I watched a lot of kids shows for way too long and I'm, I, I recognize too. that. Okay, good. The penguin like, was such an asshole. I know. He was a dick. Um, I want two marshmallows in my hot chocolate. <laughs> no more, no less. I'm so happy you know about Oswald. Because sometimes they say these things and people are like, that was a rare Canadian show that literally nobody saw except you and your German family. So sometimes I don't no. know what's like normal, but I loved Oswald. I remember mm. at like, I would like to say as a child, but maybe like closer to being like a tween. I remember <laughs> watching Oswald and being like, 
know much about the world yet, but that penguin's a fucking dick. I he remember- was a dick. And my favorite <laughs> and animals were, were penguins. Friends. Yeah. And I was like, my favorite animals were penguins. So I was like, you are giving penguins a bad fucking name. You sir. know what? I think, um, spe- and I, I say this about Oswald, but I mean a lot of the like Nick Jr. or like Disney kids shows from that time. I think they really relieved anxiety because if you think about Oswald, there was no real like, it was like really slow background music. Oswald was literally fucking doing nothing in every episode. Oh like, yeah, all he, he was, had like to do was like strolling. He was like just like strolling, he was walking so goddamn slow. And I think like the biggest plot point that ever happened in one of those episodes was he like returned a jacket. Like he, like it was so calming. He was like too polite. <laughs> yeah. He really would. If he got bumped into, he would just spend ten minutes apologizing. And I think that's where I learned my anxiety. Where like. All of a sudden, I live in a world of hustle and bustle. I'm not in Oswald's town. Wait, I just looked up who the... Do you know who voices Oswald? Fred Savage. I had no idea. I actually didn't know, but in my memory, I just heard Oswald's voice. And I went, Oh, that's hysterical. I can totally see it, but I never would have like thought of that. It was just such a calming show. I love Oswald. Wow. With his little hat. Oh, my God. (sighs) I feel better already. (laughs) You know what? He's actually uh, the liberal grandchild of his grandpa, the Kraken. So... (laughs) (laughs) he's made great strides he is uh he went to therapy he got he did work on he worked on himself yeah for sure yeah he -hmm. cut out a lot of toxic folks in his life i mean that's why all he's got he's got one bad apple left in his circle he's oh oh, i meant the penguin but he's got weenie his emotional support animal that's right and, and he's got that one last toxic friend he's trying to like like learn boundaries with but it's okay he's it's there okay. he's on it everyone else is like okay my god please everyone's shut up. like literally what are you talking what if this is <laughs> only you and i ever watched this show okay but the last thing i'm going to say is for those of you who don't believe me on this anxiety theory i have just if you have anxiety today go listen to the oswald theme song and you won't have anxiety by the end i, I no i'm literally have a, like google image search i just typed in oswald the octopus and i've like felt my blood pressure just dropping like fully I think there was a reason why, even though I was, quote, older, too old to watch it, I think I watched it because I was all of a sudden, like, 13 and hormonal and dealing with algebra. And I was was like, I need Oswald. I need Oswald. We had enough conflict in our lives. We didn't want to watch more of it on TV. I was desperately in the closet. I needed an octopus to hold on to, you (laughs) You know? (laughs) Eight tentacles to just grab on tight. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Wow. Back to... (laughs) Back to this. Okay, so in 1874, this is the point where you're allowed to get all fired up. I know we just got oh, you no, calmed down. Oh, no, I just down. calmed myself down. <laughs> but in 1874, this was 13 years after the first documented account where sailors shot at a giant squid. 13 years later, there's another giant squid encounter with a ship. And this guy actually fucking takes down the whole ship. He, like, this is the first time some actual Kraken stuff is going on that we can... <gasps> Quote, document, quote, I say that loosely, but the story that goes crazy in the 1870s is that this squid literally dragged down a 150 ton schooner. Oh, Um, no. But apparently the story that I read from it was that like the captain or the sailors were like shooting at it and eventually someone shot it and it got mad and then it like took it down. Yeah. Oh. So I said loosely that that ex- that that happened because there is no actual document of it on like a ship registrar or in maritime museums. But this is like the story went more or less viral for the 1870s. <gasps> I just hate um, that because it's like, oh, it's so it, it's vicious. It attacked me. It's like you're literally shooting it with what like what on earth do you expect? Uh... I know. I know. Also, this story apparently got so much talk 
uh, through the grapevine that popular science had to do a review about the Kraken to try to like break down if it really exists or not. And so probably in response to this story, popular science review said that the Kraken is quote, a stupendous production of human imagination. So, <laughs> stupendous indeed. That's, that's where they stand on this. So, uh, and everyone's like, is, we didn't ask you popular science. Sit down. Nobody asked you. So, maybe this ended up just kind of being like sensationalized or, you know, not totally legitimate uh, journalism. But here is the article that people read. This is from the Sunday Times, May 10th. Holy shit, it's May 6th. I thought it was going to be May 10th. That would have been so cool. Wait, does this come out on May 10th? No, it Damn comes it. out in two weeks. <laughs> Fuck, I can't get it together. Okay, whatever. This is from 1874. It says, a ship capsized and then sank. The crew of the... And also I'm paraphrasing because it was very flowery and I'm just trying to get to the point. Uh, A ship capsized and then sank and the crew of the small boat got into the water, but they were picked up by the crew of another ship that was apparently witnessing this entire experience. Can you imagine being that sailor being like, yo, that sucks. Like, oh, <laughs> shit. Don't look now. It'll end up on like Barstool USA or whatever. Somebody's that. like zooming in with their old like Nokia, <laughs> like trying to get a video. I like how in 1874, Nokia was still considered old. <laughs> okay. So uh, they were picked up by the crew of another ship, the Strathoen. Uh, they claimed they themselves shot at a giant squid floating in silence, which means it was at peace. Uh, which made the squid furious and climb onto the ship. And two sailors died in the the squid's arms and a third disappeared. The squid body was said to be at least as thick as the smaller ship. I mean, so so stupid, but also died in the squid's arms sounds so peaceful. (laughs) That's, it sounds like that's, that's Cthulhu and Othello right there. Yeah. Okay. Hang Hang on. on. Written by Oswald because he knows what love is. I get it. Calming presence. So... Anyway, this is at least the first documentation, whether or not it's legitimate, but it was the first like written in and seen as fact where sailors are dying because of this creature. Sure. So by the 1930s, there are at least three other stories of squids attacking ships and sailors either being lost at sea afterwards or dying or whatever it is. So it's now by the 1930s, pretty much written in fact that the Kraken is out to get you if you're out at sea and you never know where he might be. In 2003, just to um, time travel, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, this is a, a, a quote from one of their stories about the Kraken or a sea monster in general. Veteran yachtsman Oliver D. Kersauson, uh said that his boat was hit by strange vibrations. So he sent a crew member below deck to try to identify what was wrong. Suddenly he saw something moving and it was tentacles. The squid was pulling really hard. So we put the boat... Oh, this is a uh, this is actually Oliver himself talking in the excerpt mm-hmm. now. Suddenly, uh, he saw something moving into his tentacles, and the squid was pulling really hard. So we put the boat we put the boat about, and when we came to stop, the tentacles let go. We saw it behind the boat, and it was enormous. I have been sailing for forty years, and I have never seen the like of this. And then one crew member. This is still a quote of the news article. One crew member who spotted the creature uh, through a porthole said that the tentacles were as thick as my arm wearing an oil skin. And I immediately thought of the damage it could do when Mm. we saw it behind the boat. It must have been seven to nine meters long. Mm. So speaking of creepy stories of squids, I just want to take this moment because we talked about it earlier because you mentioned a little bit how you knew that they're they can like fit through all these tiny little spaces Mm. super quickly. There was this super popular video that went around a while ago 
that most people probably saw and don't realize you did, but it was like this octopus trying to get off of one side of a boat and onto the other side so he could drop into the water. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. It, uh, I've I'm seen one sh- where they like tested it at an aquarium, but I've never seen oh, one. Um, no, octopus gets through, I don't know, hole of boat. I don't know. It's probably <laughs> going to be the first video that comes up. Yep, first video that comes up. Uh, it's in case you want to look it up. It's called "Huge Octopus Escapes Through Smallest Hole." It's um, so freaky. I don't really want to look it up. But I'm a little scared. Here, I'll send it to you. I'll send you the link. Okay. Am I okay, supposed here. to watch this now? Sure. Yeah. It's okay. only. Oh, sorry. That was uh my ads. If you heard anything, I'm also going to watch it for fun while you watch it. Okay. It's from the dodo. Yeah. <gasps> so it. The whole video, by the end, it's completely on the other side of the boat. Oh. My. God. I mean, that thing is beyond creepy. And doesn't it look like a little (gasps) kraken? (laughs) This is terrifying. Look how big he is. I know. So. So, I mean, this is just for our entertainment. We don't have to keep this whole part in. But, like, yeah, and apparently they also change color. So this is from the dodo, and it says a 600-pound octopus can fit through a hole the size of a quarter. Yep. That's a whole-ass octopus. And this thing, this thing looks like it could, I mean, I don't know how big this one is, but it's definitely bigger than a fucking quarter. No, <laughs> Slightly. Also, he said it's changing colors, too. Which Look at it. It's turning blue. <gasps> it's yeah. turning, like, different colors. Also, he said it can fit through anything that its beak can fit through. So that's interesting. Whoa. That's probably a little beak. Yeah, that's probably like the hardest part on it. Um, I'm just going to also read the top comment. I need someone who believes in me the same way this dude believes in that octopus. He's like <laughs> cheering him on the whole time. <laughs> Ugh, gross. And Listen, then it's nature's like, incredible. Look at that. Oh, but it's so cool. Like what? Think that that evolved over all that time. I know. And then we eat it and shoot it. Humans that's suck. Humans suck. That should be the uh, title of this episode. So anyway, so that's uh, that's one of the more viral things that have come out recently of octopi or squids just because it was such a wild video. And then yeah. also there is this um, famous uh, little creature named Inky in uh, New Zealand who escaped from an aquarium and went down a drain in 2016. That's the he- one I remember. That's some Finding Nemo shit right there. He that is because even the name Inky sounds like an yeah. Finding Nemo character. Anyway, so really quick before we go, I just want to say there's one theory that the Kraken isn't a giant squid, but is a colossal octopus instead of a colossal squid, um, which better fits the description of how people describe the, the what the Kraken looks like. But like I said earlier, it's still probably the giant squid because it's more violent. There is another one that's even more violent called the Humboldt squid, but it's much smaller, so it's probably not the Kraken. Although, fun fact, Humboldt squids are called red devils because they turn red when they're about to attack you. Oh, okay. And uh, and then the giant squid, which is most likely or has become the lore that is the kraken. The giant squid is usually 13 to 15 meters, which is about 43 to 50 feet. Uh, and some say it can reach up to 18 meters, which is about 60 feet. But that's only when it's like stretched out on land. So that probably doesn't count. Um, sure. And the giant squid is still like this huge enigma. We don't know anything about its social patterns, its eating patterns, its mating patterns. Fun fact. Social life. I was like, well, it's none of our (laughs) business to be quite frank. You know what? He feels like an introvert to me, though. So I feel like I can guess his social pattern. Yeah, I Um, get it, dude. 
But one thing we do know, speaking of mating behaviors, we do know that the male giant squid, his penis is up to one meter long, which is three feet. <laughs> LOL. Uh, and based on the beaks of the squid, uh, scientists say that giant squids can technically get up to 66 feet long and they weigh anywhere between 300 and 600 pounds. Holy. So holy. in theory, if you were to see a kraken in, in modern day, if we were to experience this cryptid, it could be guesstimated around 60 feet and probably 450 pounds um, with a three foot long penis. Um, so that's <laughs> definitely, that's releasing the Kraken if I've ever seen it. Um, Don't sit on that part, maybe. Just be careful. That might piss them <laughs> off. Uh, so now the general understanding is that it's also got hooked or suction cup tentacles. It uh, has the potential to hide in the water by changing color. It will suck you down in a water vortex. And little evidence of a genuine kraken exists, but we do have hope that it has once existed because cephalopods used to be much be much bigger back That's in the so day. That's so cool. And so I mentioned this earlier on, but there were prehistoric squids that got yeah. up to 30 meters, which is 100 <gasps> feet. And they used to um, they used to eat this one type of maritime dinosaur that was basically the prehistoric version of dolphins it's actually called an owensaur we're trying to take the name back (laughs) (laughs) take the name and we're we're revamping we're We're rebranding the name rebranding uh but so basically these prehistoric squids used to eat prehistoric dolphins no ew uh, just to give you an idea of their size and these there is some criticism because a lot of those prehistoric squids don't have the same behaviors as cephalopods today but people could also just chalk that up to like evolution but the most recent information we have about kraken slash giant squid is in 2004 japanese researchers finally got the very first picture of the giant of a giant <gasps> squid really and it does look very um krakeny no one had gotten one before 2004 apparently not wow that freaks me out a little bit me too I, here, I mean, it looks like it was meant for a horror movie in terms, like, they couldn't have asked him to pose better. Here he is. Yes, first picture of live giant squid. <gasps> oh, my God. Let me do a little zoomaroo. Oh, he's very God. It is Cth- a horror movie. Very Cthulhu Krakeny. Yeah, he's, like, underwater, too, folks. If you're trying to picture this, he's, like, in the depths of the sea. So this was the first picture. This was in 2004. And then eight years later, the exact same team of researchers got the very first video footage of a giant Inch- squid. Oh, that would be interesting with all his little, little, little arms. Yeah. And it was, so it was 2,000 feet below the Pacific Ocean. Wow, 2,000 feet. No wonder nobody's gotten photos. I'm sending this to the group chat so Eva has, has to say can see it, but I'm going to say has to see it and the video. <laughs> uh, no, so notable mentions of a giant squid slash kraken slash sea monster is Moby Dick, Clash of the Titans. Uh, although <laughs> this movie, um, so Clash of the Titans is based on like, it makes you think that the kraken is like a Greek myth, but it's not really based on Greek mythology. Uh, it's also been featured in Pirates of the Caribbean, and you might have recently, in the last couple of years, seen release the Kraken as a hashtag on social media. Again, this comes from the famous line in Clash of the Titans, but it now, these days, because Trumpers have to ruin everything, it uh, refers to uh, Trump's uh, old lawyer, Sidney Powell, who 
uh, <laughs> promised to, quote, release the Kraken, a.k.a. release all of the information mm. to prove uh, voter fraud. Mm-hmm. So, and then be- from there, QAnon picked it up and a, a bunch of other, like, Come little on. Tr- Trumpy subgroups. And basically now release the Kraken is a hashtag meaning, like, you know, release release real info. Tell us the truth. So, um, give me the emails what about the emails yeah so i'm gonna end on one thing because everyone seems to love well most people seem to love our uh cryptid slam poetry so some people were a some little people, less enthused but some we people loved it. exactly hated it but most people really really loved it yeah so there me. is there is a poem about this sea monster that comes from 1830 um and the english poet his name was tennyson and this is his poem about, you know, not saying the, not necessarily calling it Kraken, but whatever this Kraken lore is. All is right, it Alfred Lord Tennyson? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. I just have English poet Tennyson. Tenth so grade. Thanks, Miss Rosero. And this is from 1830. Okay. Below the thunders of the upper deep, far, far beneath in the abysmal sea, his ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep. The Kraken. Oh, he did actually. I actually didn't read this until I'm talking about it with you. So he mentioned the Kraken. Great. You hadn't read it yet. <laughs> I wanted. I wanted to live react with you in case it was really wild. You are live reacting. That's for sure. His ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep. The Kraken sleepeth. Faintest sunsets flee. Sunlights flee. About his shadowy sides, above him swell huge sponges of millennial growth and height, and far away into the sickly light. From many a wondrous and secret cell, unnumbered and enormous polypi, uh, winnow with giant arms the lumbering green. There hath he lain for ages and will lie, battening upon huge sea worms in his seat and his sleep, until the latter fly, until the latter fire shall heat the deep. Then once by man and angels to be seen, and roaring he shall rise and on the surface die. Whoa! I know I didn't read that in any like poem like. You know, beautiful M. rhythm, but I just kind of wanted to get through it quickly because I know I'm over. I thought time. your poem but rhythm was great. <laughs> it was the choppiest rhythm you've ever seen, but then I guess choppy like the sea. That's right. It so fits. It fits. It was on brand. So anyway, that is the Kraken. That was beautiful. Uh, wow, what a what a glorious ending to that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Well, there you have it. Unfortunately, my story today does not feature a poem. Um, I wish it did, but. Uh, maybe a song a lot of your serial killers like to leave songs <laughs> and love notes uh we got some journal entries so Ooh, okay. we're getting there um this today emothy yeah. i'm gonna tell you the story of ted kaczynski aka no aka <laughs> K- big ted i don't know unabomber Who? oh okay <laughs> nope sorry nope. no nothing okay do you wow. know about okay the- so um is he the he's the guy it's the one with the shoe right uh no that's the shoe bomber yep <laughs> okay so no <laughs> so no is the answer <sighs> it's it's one of the things that like i i heard a million times but then eventually i was too scared to ever ask about it so i just never looked it up well i will tell you all about it so this week we're looking at the case of ted kaczynski ex full-time math professor part-time terrorist otherwise known as the unabomber so Between 1978 and 1995, Kaczynski was responsible for the creation and delivery of 16 bombs, many of which had the phrase FC written on them, which I will describe to you later what what exactly that means. Three people were killed because of the 16 bombs and 23 others were severely injured. So 
Wow. Theodore Ted Kaczynski was born May 22nd, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois, to Wanda and Theodore Sr., a sausage maker. Chicago mm. classic. Uh, they said that as a young child, having suffered from severe hives that put him in the hospital, uh, he experienced really extensive isolation where he... It, it was really interesting. So I watched this miniseries on Netflix. I, I'm always watching a miniseries on Netflix, but this one is called <laughs> Unabomber in his own words. And it uh, features like one of the only in-depth interviews with him. <gasps> so wow. it's really cool. Um, and it's pretty well done. It's four parts. I've had a lot of weird dreams ever since I binged it. So just be, sure. be careful. Maybe do some light reading between or some Parks and Rec or something. But Take a, take a break. Take a Take a breather. Break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so they described it where he, his parents knew something was wrong. He had all these rashes. So they brought him to the hospital, but the policy was that they could only see him two days a week. And he was like two or three, like he was really little. So he only saw his parents like two days a week for two hours. And they said that this created this like horrible social isolation. I mean, he was just alone in the hospital room as a little baby. Sure. Um, and so some people believe that's where his kind of psychotic tendencies like psychosis kind of creeped in or i'm sorry not psychosis psychopathy um Mm. and perhaps that's where it kind of was fostered because he was didn't have a connection to his parents um for that very formative period of time so anyway uh his parents described that after that hospital visit he showed little emotion for months and um before that he was a very bubbly and fun happy Aww. child and he just completely did a 180 so it's completely detached from them probably yeah like totally detached not emotional um so really sad and his parents believe that this time in isolation manifested itself in ted showing the biggest sympathy for animals who were in cages that was like his his biggest wow. deepest uh you know emotive response was to animals in cages which oh okay interesting <laughs> it's, it's better than nothing i wonder um, if i mean this is such a wild thing thought like i there's no i have but it, i wonder if it's like he saw himself in caged animals of, yeah like, he was alone and by himself and in isolation totally yeah. and i think um the fact that he hadn't had human connection for so long you know it makes sense that he would relate to animals right um and so yeah no i think that makes total sense uh he didn't have any friends at least human ones uh, and then in 1952, three years after Ted's younger brother, David, was born, who is also featured extensively in the miniseries and is like a very interesting guy. Like I <laughs> I could listen to it and talk about this for days. It's just his, his side of the oh. story is fascinating. Um, so David was born and the, the family moved to Evergreen Park, Illinois, and Ted attended high school there. And in junior high, he scored a 167 on his IQ test. And he skipped, which is genius level, and he skipped from fifth into seventh grade. Whoa. And yeah, so he's jumping ahead. And remember, he already doesn't have that many friends, so he's kind of already isolated. And now he's joining older kids. Uh, And he immersed himself in a variety of after-school activities, including math, biology, coin, and German club. Clubs, those are all different. (laughs) <laughs> oh okay, german coin it. it's not german coin club or it's german like the biology. oxford comma <laughs> yeah that's right yeah we got to put an ox actually let me add an oxford comma because what that's... a club that would have been that you know what <laughs> that's a very good point uh oxford comma is in okay cool so and he also played the trombone in the marching band so wow you know so busy busy guy busy beaver um very smart and he did find some friends who also loved science and math and they called themselves the briefcase boys because they all had the I briefcase. love that I know 
isn't that cute? Oh, that's such cases. a fun little game. That's a fun little name. I know, and I bet I feel like kids would be bullied for that back in the day. I don't know if they would be now. I like to think that maybe we're all a little more open-minded, but it's just such a sweet. I just, it's so sweet. I love it. Yeah, I wonder if it's like the world has changed or maybe we've just grown up and like have different like values on like what we think are cool. But I would be so jealous of the briefcase. Me too. I'd be like, mom, buy me a freaking, forget about this lunchbox. I want a briefcase. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the day I got my SpongeBob lunchbox. I thought it would make me cool. It didn't, but it made me cool to myself. So I had a, I, she definitely listens to this show. So sorry in advance, in advance, Mac, but, or no, Mare. Uh, they're quadruplets and I, I mixed one up by accident but <gasps> how dare first you. first grade i had the coolest marvin the martian lunchbox <laughs> and it, it was mac and she was standing behind me and just i was like walking with it in in hand and you know how when you're walking your arm like one arm goes up front one goes Swing behind you my arm was behind at the same moment that she had to throw <gasps> up and my entire arm and lunchbox just got <gasps> covered in her throw up, and I could never use that lunchbox. I was again. not expecting that. And I, and she was like, she's my best friend uh, in first grade. So I was like, I wasn't mad at her, but I was like, motherfucker. Like, I was, this was the coolest lunchbox I'll On ever this, see. Of all days and of all items. It was a I brand own? new one, too. I had just bought it. It was so cool. Anyway, that blows. Sorry, Mac. <laughs> Well, my SpongeBob lunchbox occurred in eighth grade, which means I was very uncool, but that's okay. Uh, Anyway, no briefcases. I had no briefcase. Um, So according to the Washington Post, when Ted turned 12, he and a junior high classmate named Dale Eichelman occasionally played with homemade explosives. And Eichelman later remembered, we would go out to an open field. And I remember Ted had the know-how of putting together things like batteries, wire leads, potassium nitrate, or whatever, and creating explosions. Mm. Foreshadowing. Yeah, sounds like it. Ted excelled at school. He was even too advanced for his school's advanced math class, uh, which resulted in him skipping 11th grade. Uh, So now by attending summer school, he graduated high school at age 15. I was trying to do the math. Yeah. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) 15. uh, We're not in the advanced math class, so I had to write it down for us. But 15 (laughs) is when he graduated. Uh, And because he was nominated as a National Merit finalist, me too, BTW. Fun fact about me. Yeah. Um, Look at you go. Guess what? Uh, They forgot to put it in the... They forgot to put me on the list. Um, Mm. Well, so, so technically... Uh, there's no proof there is because i was in the local newspaper i was in the photo okay. it's really sad i was in the photo <laughs> holding the thing and they like didn't put my name in and then we oh. asked them about it and they were like oh we forgot and i was like that's not very nice but anyway Ugh. classic classic okay so he this part is not like me he was accepted to harvard at age 16 uh so oh, that's me same that's more so. like your speed yep. i'm more like the one throwing up in the background yep. <laughs> on your arm. <laughs> so <laughs> he went to Harvard at age 16. He went Jesus to college Christ. before getting his driver's license. Like that's how <gasps> freaking wow. uh, mad genius this kid was. Which like now knowing like what's, I mean, I don't know the details, but knowing like the general yeah. idea of what's going to come, it's like what a waste of potential. It's very sad. It is. It is. And it's just fascinating how things kind of morph. Um, So when he was at Harvard, understandably, he was sort of a recluse. I mean, he's 16 and all his classmates are 
in co- you know college age so and at that point in time or at that point in your life a couple of years makes a big difference in developmentally yeah. so he would get back to his dorms after a day of classes slam the door and kind of just be alone he always ate alone um, apparently his room was always such a mess that smelled so bad that students had to ask staff to have the room cleaned like that's how gross <gasps> oh it was oh my god which is we had that good. and we had that with one of my roommates in college really the whole place smelled like literal garbage and it was because she was on by the way fun fact i still to this day have no idea who she was i don't know i know her name was ashley never saw her face once <gasps> she but uh we had like basically apartment dorms and uh she had her own room so we never saw her and her room was the one closest to the front door so as soon as she came into the apartment she was like hidden in a room yeah i literally never once in my life saw her oh no and uh but the room smelled so bad Aww. and apparently it was because she was on the basketball team and she would just leave food in there and then she <gasps> they would be like traveling for weeks <gasps> and we'd oh, be like no. i'd be like girl get it together so anyway that. can you imagine coming home like oh i'm gonna relax in my bed oh i left a burrito in my bed <laughs> oh shit <laughs> uh, and the entire apartment would just reek so we had to like ha- we had to have people come in and unlock the door for us so we could take her wow yeah okay that's less sad than i thought i thought it was going to be like she had you know mental health issues I, and wasn't oh, no. leaving the room but it was like she was leaving the room for she, too long <laughs> she never she never threw out her garbage like we went in there and she must have had something that where she was weird about her garbage because the garbage bags, she wouldn't just throw them away. She would like collect them and leave them in her room. So it was just weeks old garbage I mean, bags. I've done that, but it's because I'm lazy. But um, she, I don't know what her situation was, but it just smelled so that's bad. That's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, so that is apparently what happened here, except the difference is he was in his room not playing basketball, I presume. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Maybe right, right. chess, but maybe Sudoku. I'm not sure, but mm. not basketball. So a weird fact, fun fact about Ted's time at Harvard, uh, this comes into play later too. In his sophomore year, Ted participated in a three-year, 200-hour study led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray, who ended up becoming like a big name in psychology, uh, which was later theorized to be a strand of the CIA's research into mind control (gasps) and interrogation techniques. (gasps) And according to the Atlantic Monthly, as part of the study, participants were told they would debate personal philosophy with a fellow student and were asked to write essays detailing their personal beliefs and aspirations. The essays were then turned over to an anonymous individual who would confront and belittle the subject uh, in what Murray called Murray, the, the professor himself, called vehement, sweeping and personally abusive attacks using the Whoa. content of the essays as ammunition. <gasps> Wow. So tell us so, all your like inner private opinions and vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. and we'll just completely destroy you with them. It completely. And there was feels uh, very. It's, it feels like uh, one of those tactics in cult behavior. Yes, it like break you down exactly. Yeah. And it, that's a really good point because uh, I mean I'll get into it a little bit later, but um, essentially, well, actually, I'll just get into it now. Skip down a little bit, but so basically, these participants were then monitored as this like humiliating abuse was just hurled at them and mm. again like keep in mind he's 16 he's not even an oh, adult yet you know what i mean kid. it yeah. makes it he's so much like, worse this is prime time to always be embarrassed yes like you're <laughs> so. already like in the most vulnerable you're a teenager you're like yeah. alone you know in a new place so it's just really shitty i mean they basically said, like, today, this would never, ever, ever fly. Like, something like this could never pass any sort of 
Right. You know. Uh, especially a minor. Especially a minor. Exactly. It's just, it would never happen. And by the way, the participants had no idea that was the study, of course. Like, they just. Oh, no. Yeah. They just thought it was like, oh, I'm. why don't you write down what you think it'd feel? And then they just had some guy be like, I've looked at this. And, and they played clips of it in the uh, miniseries. And uh, basically, it was like you could just hear this guy like berating and belittling him. And then he would be like, Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Uh, like you just like, what do you even say? And when yeah, a full grown man is just like verbally assaulting you, basically, I mean, I, I would shut down. I would just be like, okay, I would right. cry for sure. Yeah. Like I've crying just thinking about it. Um, so it's very upsetting. Uh, the psych professor, I guess they talked about this was hoping to learn more about the effect of stress on people. And he was very involved in developing interrogation techniques um, and so there's this thing in the CIA called enhanced interrogation, which mm. is interrogation. But on top of that, they added these kind of mind control techniques like drugs, hypnosis, sensory deprivation or isolation, good cop, bad cop. So basically any sort of psychological torment uh, added wow. into uh, interrogation would be called enhanced inter- with a nice name called enhanced <laughs> interrogation. Fun. Okay. Yeah, it's really lovely. Um it's basically full-on verbal assault, uh, and nowadays, obviously, completely unethical. Uh, and Ted didn't know there was a script. He didn't know that this other person was doing this as part of the study. He just thought this is how some he was some being person viewed. just came in here and just started screaming at him. Yeah, and he basically thought like I didn't do the study right. Like I just must have done something completely wrong. Um, And that definitely comes into play, in my opinion, later on when you hear like what his beliefs and aspirations were. And oh so, no! I know it's re- it's just like really dark when you is it like I just want to go make people feel happy and then they were like you fucking <laughs> dumbass not quite okay because that would have been really heartbreaking but it's it's sort of it's like mm, well you decide because I don't know how to frame it okay. but okay. so there was a former CIA officer that was actually interviewed in the docu series who was involved with enhanced interrogation of a high ranking member of Al Qaeda. And he was interviewed and he clarified that it is fully, he's like, it's torture. Like we call it enhanced interrogation, but I was involved with it and it's torture. Um, And he said the tactics the CIA used in these instances were a direct result of what this professor Henry Murray had developed throughout his study. So like they took these exact methods that, you know, he was a part of that Ted was a part of and turned those into interrogation methods. And he said, he said to specify they weren't inspired by the studies they were directly derived from his work so it wasn't even like a connection it was like no this is exactly how we developed our process oh my god so really dark um the process being that you can break someone down alter their minds and they would be psychologically broken down and they they called it in the show dislocated to then be reformed to a pliable or cooperative source yeah icky it does sound culty and torture i mean it's psychological torture and again he was a child so it's like wow really unethical i mean i couldn't listen i actually had to skip forward because i was getting like so upset i was like i can't listen to this like cruel verbal abuse it's just too much so i couldn't listen to it but Uh, oh and by the way these records are all sealed like they have like little clips of it but this it's fully sealed so nobody can people who are studying him can't go back and listen to all of it to make sure like hey i wonder if this had any connection um so that's all we know we don't know that like full details but um it is interesting that it's like fully sealed and we can't actually access it yeah it says something doesn't it (laughs) it does and like that's 
a side note, but, you know, I think it kind of comes into play. So anyway, after his time at Harvard, uh, Ted completed a PhD in mathematics in 1967 at the University of Michigan, where his advisor called his dissertation the best I have ever directed. Hmm. This kid's a genius. Uh, Wow. Yeah, his PhD, in fact, or his dissertation was so highbrow that Maxwell Reed, a member of his dissertation committee, said, I would guess that maybe 10 or 12 men in the country understood or appreciated it, which is like, oh, okay, okay. my guy. <laughs> men. <laughs> and let me guess, you're one of the 10. Yeah, of course you are. Yeah, yeah, Got yeah. It. You're one of the special dozen. Can you uh, remind me what the topic was? It was uh, just in mathematics. Just mathematics? Okay. Uh, I'm sure that it's listed somewhere. I'm sure it'll mean nothing to me, but mathematics is the overarching umbrella Good term. <laughs> He's a math guy. Uh, yeah, we didn't know how to add up to 15, so I don't know if we'll get it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, So this PhD led him to gain his assistant professorship at Berkeley by the age of 25. So he literally had a doctorate by age 25, was a professor. He was the youngest professor in the history of the University of California, and wow. a mathematics professor, like, you know, not that not that certain subjects being a professor is easier or harder, but it's like such a very specific tract, I feel like, to become a mathematics professor. I remember in psychology, there was uh, in in because ta- psychology is part of STEM, right. but they have like their own list of like, like who makes fun of who, like, like the chemists make fun of the mathematics, who sure. make fun of the whatever. <laughs> and all the way down at the bottom, it's like the biologists make fun of the psychologists who make fun of the sociologists who like i remember being like at the bottom level of like just getting roasted all the time what about the german made no i'm just kidding uh (laughs) (laughs) journalists yeah womp womp um i wasn't even on the list okay so how does that feel no it was like it was specifically for like the like certain science would laugh at other science would laugh at other Um, science it's funny what was at the top of the food chain uh it was Physics? physics or chemistry sure that makes sense chemistry it was makes sense. The, the top three were physics chemistry and math yeah makes sense so man you gotta yeah. duke it out up there i guess Jeez. i know <sighs> okay Ugh. so basically 10 or 12 men in the country including this lovely man named maxwell apparently understood this mathematic con- math- mathematical concept that uh, ted had talked about but now he was the youngest professor in the history of university of california And it was all going so well, seemingly, but then without explanation, on June 30th of 1969, he just resigned with a two-line note to his department chairman, basically saying, I'm out. Mm. Not really any more detail than that. And according to the Crime Museum's website, teaching proved to be too much of a task for his awkward and reserved social nature. So he was able to succeed academically, but when it came to kind of the social aspect of being a professor and having students... It was just too much for him. Um, wow. And as someone who did briefly teach a class in grad school of a bunch of freshmen, it is my worst nightmare, <laughs> and I never want to do it again. Um, I still have never learned anything about that from you. We'll have to I, it's like it was, tr- it was scary. It was scary as shit. I, it was scary. They called me professor, and I was like, "Don't call me. Pro- I'm not a professor. Trust me. I'm the farthest <laughs> thing." But I had to pretend to be like really authoritative because they're a bunch of 18 year olds. I had, I think, 22 kids in my class. I mean, anyway, it was hell, but whatever. Okay. We're going to have to talk about that eventually. One of I... them DM- one of them reached out to me on Twitter and I was like, oh my God, hi. Did they listen to the show or something? Yeah, they listened to the show. This is like two years ago, but. They were like, Professor Sheaf. <laughs> he was like, do you remember me? I was like, yeah, you were actually a really good writer. Anyway, it was very cute, but sorry, side note. But so I get it, Ted teaching scary stuff Mm. um 
So after resigning from Berkeley, he moved back in with his parents in Lombard, Illinois. And then in 1971, he decided to move to Montana into a very remote cabin in the middle of nowhere, basically. Wow. So Lincoln, Montana, uh, his cabin contained a bed, two chairs, storage trunks, a gas stove, and loads of books. Wow. And his reasoning was that he wanted to be living a simpler life devoid of money, electricity, or running water. He wanted to go, like, back to nature, back to the basics. Um, And his only source of income would be odd jobs and whatever his family could send him to help him out. Wow. Can you imagine being his parents, though, and being like, wow, Harvard genius, Harvard (laughs) PhD math genius. And he just wants to go, like, I can imagine, like, the Jewish mother in me is, like, screaming. I (laughs) totally respect his opinion, but I can also just hear the criticism. It's sort of like... Wait, you're asking me for 20 bucks? You just got your PhD and had a pro- <laughs> the youngest professor in history and you need 20 bucks to buy like gas nope. for your yeah. gasoline stove? Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. So he just like totally flipped, went out to nature. It uh, was like, this is my life now. And according to the wash, oh, sorry, his dream was to be completely self-sufficient and live autonomously in the most natural conditions without any help, basically off the grid. And according to the Washington Post, in their article called The Profile of a Loner, for food, he hunted squirrels, rabbits, and porcupines. He would wow. skin them and barbecue them in a fire pit outside his cabin. So, Ugh. cute. Nope. He's that Try neighbor. Where yeah. everyone kind of does the, like, long my way father. around. He's my fucking Your father. father. <laughs> <laughs> you got the Jewish mother, the father in the woods. It's quite a tale you've, you're spinning I, here. I've, look, I, it's clear I was raised by the Jewish mother and not the, the woodland <laughs> creature. <laughs> <laughs> the skinning porcupines one yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so as the montana newsmakers would later report kaczynski spent most of his time alone riding an old bike into lincoln every few weeks to visit the library and supplement the food he grew and according to the crime museum again it was all going well until over the years he began to notice the land around him increasingly becoming sort of developed and being destroyed by industrial growth mm. and he did not like this He developed a hatred of all things industrial, gentrified, and capitalist. In an interview with the New York Times after his arrest, he discussed nature being destroyed all around him. He described a rolling country, not flat, and when you get get to the edge of it, you find these ravines that cut very steeply into cliff-like drop-offs, and there was even a waterfall there. It was about a two-day's hike from my cabin. That was the best spot until one day I went back to the plateau, and when I got there, I found they had put a road right through the middle of it. You just can't Mm. imagine how upset I was. It was from that point on that I decided that rather than trying to acquire further wilderness skills, I would work on getting back at the system. Revenge. Wow. That was a turning point. And so far, it sounds lovely i know like i'm totally fine with like him being like i you know want to take a stand against you know hurting our environment i get that yes but it's about to very quickly go downhill yes and there's definitely a line where you think yeah because there's a part where you're like i i get it you're against industrialism gentrification capitalism like i'm fully i get it i'm on board and then but there, in my opinion, at least, there should be a line. Like, there needs to be, I think there should be a line um, as far as injuring other people goes. Uh, right. To we make your point. To that part yet, yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Because so far, where I am on the storyline, I'm like, okay, yeah, get back at the system. That's what we all want. But Right. I, I keep forgetting you don't know the, 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 I know the word bomb is in his name. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, fair. So. Okay, fair. So this is my next bullet. Revenge for Ted took the form of explosives. 
Okay. Well, Here we go. That, which, by the way, bad for the environment. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean. Well, depending on how big this explosion is about to be. Well, I mean, they're like pipe bombs and stuff. I don't think oh, it's like okay. these are bombing like, you know, canyons. <laughs> got it. Okay. Got uh, it. So anyway, according to the Netflix miniseries that I mentioned earlier, uh, he got tips on how to make bombs from chemistry textbooks and he got whatever pieces he needed by stealing from neighbors' cars, like junkyards, junk cars that were kind of laying out in people's yards. He would just kind of creep around and take stuff at will. He began making handcrafted bombs from wooden and metal parts by melting metal scraps. And his first mail bomb was... So he basically was a mail bomber. He sent his bombs by mail. Oh, okay. Wow, that fucking sucks. I mean, yeah. I knew it wasn't going to be good, but now that I have the... Ref- the like, That sucks. That's Did really you ever watch helpful. that Mormon docuseries on Netflix that came out recently? Oh, Okay, that was also about mail bombing, like package. Bo- it's really freaky. The, the whole concept of, ugh. No. Anyway, okay. okay sorry. So, no, no, you're good. Uh, sorry, I'm derailing. So his first mail bomb was directed to a professor of materials engineering at Northwestern University named Buckley Christ in May of 1978. So Ted had moved back to Illinois to live with his parents and work with his father and brother at a foam rubber factory called Cushion Pack. Okay. And he had left the bomb. So this is kind of interesting. So he'd left the bomb in the University of Illinois car park with Chris's return address on it. So the package was returned to Chris, who, when receiving it, was like, I didn't send this package. Mm. And so some campus security came to check it out, and a campus security officer opened it, and it exploded. (gasps) Uh (laughs) Wow. That's that's awful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Fortunately, he survived. Um, but so this is where it's kind of interesting. They kind of theorize this on the show that it was a mail bomb with an address on it and a return address on it. And it went back to the return address. And they were thinking, like, why didn't it get mailed? And what they think happened is that he went to the mailbox with it, realized it didn't fit in the mailbox. And so he just left it laying in the parking lot and they were like, oh, this package needs to be returned to sender. Oh my God. So they think it was meant for whoever was on, I don't know who it was, but they think it was meant for whoever was on the address label. He couldn't get it in the mail slot. Yikes. (laughs) But I mean, I guess that's good that he didn't. Yeah, because who knows who would have, you know, maybe it would have gone differently and the person would have died if it got mailed. Exactly. So that's what they think happened because the the rest were mailed and this was his first one. So they think like maybe he made it, didn't even think about the dimensions. It didn't fit in the mailbox. So he just left it there hoping it would get sent back to the person on the return address. And it did. Um, And he had a history or not history, but he had a habit of putting different people's return addresses on the labels to like throw people off to like target people you know this was a smart guy he was like fucking around most of the time so anyway this campus security officer opens a package it explodes fortunately it was just minor injuries that he was impacted with uh and his first attack obviously was not as successful as he had hoped but meanwhile his working alongside his family was also not successful because in august of 1978 his brother fired him from the cushion pack factory uh oh let me tell you why. <laughs> was he stealing materials or something? No, bombs? but that's a good guess. Uh, you would no. think like a rubber company. Like you would. I hadn't even thought bullshit. of that. Yeah. Okay. No, it wasn't even that, which actually is a really good guess. But Ted and one of his supervisors had gone on a few dates. 
and she had given him his first ever kiss and he was very happy very excited Mm -hmm. uh he was 36 at this point his brother remembers him running into his room and tell and like announcing it excitedly and fbi agent kathy puckett later wrote he writes about how she kissed him and he describes it like a martian meeting an earthling he said she was doing something with her tongue that he couldn't quite understand so like he's fully Mm -hmm. kind of out of his element here he's Um, clearly it's a new territory never been kissed (laughs) it's martian territory he doesn't have a harvard degree on this one no right harvard could only get you so far (laughs) Uh, (laughs) see see not all of us are harvard grads okay (laughs) anyway but then after a few dates she told him she wasn't interested in continuing their relationship and ted didn't like that so Uh-oh. he started writing what his brother David called these very unflattering, ugly sort of limericks about her. And he would like post them all over the work site. Oh. So it was like these gross, demeaning, misogynistic like limericks that he would write. And he just plastered them everywhere about her. And obviously very unprofessional, obviously misogynistic. So David was like, I'm giving you an ultimatum. You either stop harassing this woman or you have, you're have you going to be fired. So Ted responded by posting another limerick the following day. And his brother was like, listen, I got to fire you. And he was like, I was in a corner. Like he was harassing his supervisor. He's my brother. Wow. But like, you know, yeah. he wasn't listening and he was harassing this woman. So he fired him. And once he had been fired, Ted got into the woman's car and waited for her there. And he would later reveal that he had thoughts of waiting for her to arrive and mutilating her. (gasps) But while he was in the car, he decided against it, got out of the car and went home. Well, good. Can you imagine finding out later? Like, oh, all day he was was hiding in your car. Someone was in your fucking car and going to mutilate you. Like contemplating it the entire time while you were inside. I mean, really terrifying. Wow. That's awful. So this just gives you a little glimpse into his derogatory outlook on women. Um, according to psychologist Sarah Reed, because of his his lack of experience with them, he felt extreme amounts of rage, shame, and humiliation towards women. According to his neighbor, Wendy Gehring, in the Netflix documentary, she said, in my opinion, he hated women. He had no use for us, which is like okay chilling as fuck that is um sorry i just started thinking i started thinking of this tiktok where they they did they did studies apparently on men watching women in certain outfits and like it already starts at a baseline of men seeing women as objects and then Uh, sorry it just got i i was thinking like oh wow like he really just sees them as objects and then it spiraled yeah, Sorry. I mean, he doesn't even see Sorry. them as objects because he doesn't even have a use for them because he doesn't even know how to kiss them. Yeah, they don't even they don't even offer a function. Exactly, they don't even register as like a sex object. Like he just has zero use for them, which is just like weirdly creepy because it's like it's not even like the gross misogynistic thing of like I view you as an object I want to use. It's just like you literally don't I matter see you to as me. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So anyway, the attacks continued. While in Illinois in May of 79, uh, Ted left a bomb hidden in a Phillies brand cigar box on a table in the technical building on the Northwestern University campus. The device was left untouched until mid-afternoon when a grad student in the civil engineering department saw the box and thought it was just like leftover equipment from the engineering lab, opened it, and uh, 
it exploded and caused him cuts and burns, no serious injuries, thank God. So about six months later, in November of 1979, Ted managed to sneak a bomb onto American Airlines Flight 444 from Chicago to Washington, D.C. Not in his shoe. (laughs) Right. That was another guy. (laughs) But there's apparently plenty of guys who want to bomb airplanes, I guess. Uh, Yeah, Jesus. Like, why? I don't, I never, like, well, I don't understand bombing anyone, but especially, like, why does everyone pick a fucking plane? I think it's just so blatantly dramatic. destructive and dramatic. And yeah. I mean, you have people trapped. You know exactly the number of people. What a what a full circle then, because he used to only love caged animals. And then he's like mm. causing people to be a caged animal. Yes. I think um, if it were a plane full of dogs, maybe they wouldn't have. He wouldn't have touched it. He wouldn't have touched it. Nope. Um, I'd love a plane full of dogs. How fun would that be? Okay. I love, like, being on the ground with a bunch of dogs, actually. Yeah, maybe not a plane. Maybe the plane has landed and we're all just, like, on Air Force One, like, having Maybe a we're at a, at a plane party and everyone's yeah. chewing on, like, plane stuffed animals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, anyway, he snuck a bomb on and thank fuck, due to a fault in the mechanism, it didn't properly explode and only caused a small fire on the plane. However, if Ted's plan had worked successfully, according to time, a Boeing 747 passenger jet might have just fallen out of the sky that day. So it had the potential to take down an entire Boeing 747. And thankfully, he made a mistake and it just caused a fire that everyone survived. So he's getting pissed, by the way. Like he is watching this and going like, I keep fucking up. This is not my intended plan. <laughs> yes, you plan. do. Yeah, thankfully. But he is not happy. Um, then in 1980, he sends his next bomb to the president of United Airlines, Percy Wood. And Damn. it injured him, didn't kill him. But then in October of 81, a package was discovered in a University of Utah hallway, diffused by a bomb squad. <laughs> He's just getting fucking foiled left and right. And this doesn't feel anymore like it's a, a get like it's for the sake of environmentalism. Like is yeah. there a reason for these? Yeah. Like what connection does it have? They're all people who he thinks are furthering industrialism, okay. science that is gonna turn us away from nature. So it's not really like anything direct. He's just picking people who are like a part of the system. Yes, and just... exactly. And his view okay. was it's more destructive to attack like the president of like Exxon Mobil. I mean, that's just an example than it is to, I don't know. That was like his, his MO, MO or his uh, belief was that attacking like the person at the head of it would send a stronger message, I guess, Got it. than anything Got else. It. I mean, not really if it's not working, but <laughs> uh he's trying just keep Um, causing little fires everywhere (laughs) little fires that's a book little fires everywhere anyway the following may a bomb was sent to vanderbilt university professor patrick c fisher the package had originally been mailed to penn state where it was thought that fisher was still teaching but when they got it they were like oh no he's actually moved to vanderbilt so they forwarded the package to vanderbilt oh my god oh my god and so it turned out he turned out he was away in puerto rico and unfortunately, his secretary, Janet Smith, opened the bomb. And um, although it didn't kill her, she was, like, scarred for the rest of her life on her arms and face oh, from the explosion. Um, and the package had been marked with the return address of a man named Leroy Berenson, an electrical engineering professor at Brigham Young University. But, of course, they interviewed him or, inter- you know, interviewed him. And he was like, I did not send that. Like, I have no idea what this is. 
But like wow. Ted was just fucking around and putting like one professor on the return address and one on the to to just screw with the system. Jeez. Okay. Um. So he would write another person's or even sometimes just like a fake return address on the um package, and it was just like a running element to throw people off. So that was what they thought happened with that first. This is when they were like, okay, maybe that first package he left in a car park was mm-hmm. meant to go in the mail, but right. he fucked up and that's why it got returned to the wrong guy. So so is this how, when all of these, the ones you've listed so far are happening, did they, they didn't know it was him. They no, were just no, trying no. To, they were just trying to find. Yeah. Yeah. They were still in the middle of investigating. All they were stuff. like, somebody is terrorizing these universities and. Got it. Companies. Exactly. Uh, so they did not know who it was. So Kaczynski's next two attacks spanned the next three years, and they were both targeted at his alma mater. So he had gone to UC Berkeley, and on July 2nd of 1982, engineering professor Diogenes J. Angelakos, sounds very Greek, uh, mistook a bomb for a discarded piece of equipment on the floor, and when he lifted the object's handle, it exploded and caused serious injuries to his hand, arm, and face. And then on May 15th of 85, Berkeley grad student and Air Force Captain John Hauser uh, opened a three-ring binder that he had left laying around, and it turned a out to be a bomb. Binder. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So he's kind of Not even a box anymore. He's, like, getting, like, creative with this yeah. stuff. Yeah. It was, like, Ugh. a binder, and when you opened it, it would explode, and um, it, it actually... Uh, blew off four of his fingers <gasps> and he lost vision in one eye and he talks about it in the miniseries and he said he was wearing his air force ring and it embedded itself into the wall with his fingers whoa yeah oh my god and that's how and he wow. he described it to the trauma of it and saying like it was slow motion and he just remembers like he said it was like the matrix when he's kind of yeah going through the bulge or whatever he's like it was like that like slow motion his fingers just kind of <gasps> blew off his own hand and oh my his, god he lost his vision in one eye Whoa. Oh my so god. it's getting worse thankfully nobody has died yet but it's getting worse um the year of 85 ted made and sent a total of four bombs which was i think the most in like that brief of a time span so on June 13th of 85, a brown addressless paper package arrived at the fabrication division of Boeing, like the oh airplane manufacturer, yeah. in Auburn, Washington. And thankfully, employees were able to partially open it, see it was a bomb, and call the bomb squad, who were able to defuse it. But I mean, think about it. He put it in a addressless paper package to yeah, an airline. Thank, <laughs> like, Thank God it was like something really like obviously. Yeah. So people, I mean, like, had he just done it in a box, like, someone would have died. Yeah, like a three-ring binder. <laughs> just, like, yeah. toss it on the floor. Exactly. So thankfully, they were able to kind of just peek at it, see that if they opened it, it would explode, call the bomb squad who defused it. Then, on November 15th of 85, University of Michigan psychology professor, which is where he went to get his PhD, James McConnell, received a package from a professor at University of Utah named Ralph Kloppenberg. And on the outside of the package, Kloppenberg had written a message to McConnell saying that there was a manuscript inside that he wanted his notes on. So, so the professor gets a package from this other professor being like, hey, here's a manuscript. Like, could you take a look at it? So, of course, it's like, okay, oh, okay. Like one academic sending another academic. Sure. His work. Like he's just fucking around with these people. And so when opened by the assistant, of course, which I feel like he's also not 
thinking through like yeah these this are is all... a random person who just got like a nine to five job yeah like... they're not po- he, and and also like these are high-ranking people a lot of the time who have assistants to open their yeah. mail or you know especially if they're like out of town or on vacation so the assistant opened it and it exploded and injured his arm and he lost part of his hearing and although at this point now ted has been sending bombs since 1978 it wasn't until december of 85 that ted murdered his first victim and in his words succeeded with his bomb yeah and how long has he been doing this now so 78 is the first bomb he sent and now it's 1985 so seven years it took him that fucking long yeah i'm shocked i mean i'm glad that people weren't dying before that but like i you would think that he would have done it faster i know with that with that iq man you know yeah yeah so sacramento-based computer store owner 38 year old hugh scrutton he just owned a computer store this guy it's not even like he you know was running some oil rig like it's starting to feel like the movie saw like the saw franchise because originally the killer was going after people who like quote deserved to die Uh and then by the end of the franchise it was just random fucking killing like it was just like sure like it's really sloppy i definitely never saw the saw movies as you can probably guess but i think i know what you're saying and it's almost like an excuse to harm people and then it gets out of hand like yeah like oh no they deserve it and then it's like out it gets out of control Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's almost the same way and it's sort of like he owns a computer store he's not like steve jobs you know he's not yeah. like creating the next wave in technology so it's just a little it's just sad so anyway this guy runs a computer store 38 years old he sees this um package left in the parking lot outside his store he opens it and the package is filled with nails uh and it explodes and kills him and one of the metal plugs on the bomb with the letters fc engraved into it pierces his heart <gasps> So he is killed by this bomb. Oh, my God. And it seems that Ted then went on a break because it wasn't until two years later that another computer store was attacked in 87 against a man named Gary Wright, who's the vice president of a computer repair company in Salt Lake City. And he was seriously injured by a package left in the parking lot. Um, He survived, but the explosion severed nerves in his arm and 200 pieces of shrapnel exploded into his body. Holy shit. Yeah. So it's just extremely violent and gruesome. Um, And he was actually driving to Utah at this point, which they didn't know. But he was driving to Utah to or taking the bus to Utah to mail these packages as sort of like to not be in his home base. So he'd be in Salt Lake and that's when he would like leave them at in parking lots, that kind of thing. Or he would mail them directly from Utah. Got it. So this time, however, like I said, he was in Salt Lake and he was not as dexterous at escaping because a secretary had observed a man with a mustache wearing a sweatshirt leaving a package in the car park. Mm. And she hadn't really thought much of it, of course, until this happened. And then she was like, wait, I saw a sketchy dude out there. So the employee was interviewed by police and her descriptions would help create the famous sketch of the Unabomber, which would be used in the investigation. Um have you seen this picture? I'll send it to you. No. This is like the famous Unabomber. Uh, Maybe I have seen it. I just, I just You might it. have. Um, so it's him wearing like aviators and a hoodie 
Oh, yes, yes, I've seen this picture. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty well-known photo, uh, not photo, but drawing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the description she gave to police, and that's what started to spread uh, around town, around right. um, <laughs> the news and that kind of thing. They were starting to finally put more details to who this mysterious bomber was. Right, 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 right. So when the sketch was released, Ted kind of stepped back into the shadows and he didn't show up again until six years later. So there was almost a lull where people were like, "Okay, maybe it's over, Mm -hmm. which is almost even scarier because (laughs) you don't know if it's over because they haven't caught him. But then also because there was like that weird two year gap. Yeah. And and there was like seven years or eight years before he where it didn't even nothing like no one was dying. Like, so you just. For all you know, like, he just was taking a hiatus and he'll be back, yeah. Yeah, and some people thought, well, maybe he was arrested for some other charge, which sometimes happens to killers, and he's in jail. But, like, nope, he was just hiding out in his cabin. And it's not totally clear what he was up to, but we do know that in 1988 and 1991, he had written a letter to mental health professionals requesting psychiatric counseling. Wow. Which is interesting. I didn't see that coming. I know. and then But then he went and, like freaked out and was like just spewed hatred at the psychiatrist and at one point he requested a sex change but it wasn't because of gender dysphoria it was they (laughs) described the psychiatrist psychologist described it in the episode and she was like it's an extremely rare thing where he didn't relate to being a woman but he thought i couldn't full i'll be honest with you i couldn't fully understand it but he requested one and then they set up a meeting to like meet with him and he was like, I'd rather die. And they were like, okay, well, you what? set this meeting. I don't so know. You, like you wanted like gender reassignment surgery and yeah. you're now getting, and now you're he like, wrote, I would literally rather do anything else. Then why'd you come to this meeting? Exactly. He like wrote like, I would like a sex change. Obviously, that's the wording he used. Right. And they were like, well, okay, you have to come in and have psychiatric evaluation. Like, we'll talk to you. And then he went in to the meeting and then was like, so I'd rather just die. Fucking tra- like, just flipped the switch. Like, it just <laughs> yeah. like. Yes. Uh, At that point, why wouldn't you just call and say, hey, I'm not coming. I just, I changed my mind. You'd think so. You'd think okay. so. Um, but anyway. so he was clearly going through some things and he had a lot of anger and he, he wrote at one point that he was having dreams where he was talking to a psychiatrist and they would be trying to help him and he would become so angry that he would kill the psychiatrist and then he would be happy and relieved. <laughs> so what the fuck? those are his okay. dreams. And I don't know why that shocked me. At I know all. it shouldn't just, have. It's just odd because on the one hand, he's like, I'm requesting help, psychiatric help. And then on the other hand, he's like, but I'm also dreaming of the many ways I could murder you. It's. Right. Still haven't mutilated a woman yet. Yeah. It's just bizarre. The the goings on in his head at this point. And um, it's so six years here where he's going to have gender reassignment surgery, not going to have it, then hating women, then hating psychiatrists, then wanting to talk to psychiatrists. It's all very confusing. Anyway, so uh, we don't know what he was up to, uh, but his second letter was sent after his father Theodore Sr., who had recently been diagnosed with lung cancer, had died by suicide in their family home in Chicago, Mm. and his wife and son were in the other room. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, my God. So that really triggered a lot of emotional and psychiatric distress, obviously. And that was part of the kind of that was part of the this all this whirlwind I just described of seeking help and then rejecting help and then feeling violent and. It, it, 
that was all mixed in in any case so after his hiatus ted traveled to sacramento where he mailed two bombs so it's been six years he's gotten over it i guess uh and now he's back in it he's back on top he mails two bombs one is addressed to dr charles epstein who's a geneticist at the University of California, and one to David Galanter, a computer science professor at Yale. And fun fact, the name Galanta in German means the learned one. So it's almost oh. like he was meant to be a professor. That actually, actually that is really cool. Was that's a cute the, name. That's the nicest thing you've said all day. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Just a little fun fact. Okay, so on June 22nd of 93, Epstein's package arrives, And his daughter brings it in from the mailbox. I mean, it's all just so harrowing to think about. So his daughter brings it in from the mailbox and leaves it on the kitchen counter for him. When he opens it, the bomb explodes. He breaks his arm. He severs several of his fingers. And this is another example of... So this man's a geneticist. And he's been working on uh, developing medical care for people with Down syndrome. And it's like, this is the person that you think is destroying the world. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, that's your this, target? Yeah. Wow. It, it just starts to not really make total it sense. It makes no sense anymore. Yeah, It's almost like he just picks people that he feels like or doesn't oh. like or who knows. But Truly. Uh, so this man was like, that was his research and his life's work. And thankfully, again, he wasn't killed, but he was severely injured. I'm sure his whole family, especially his daughter who just brought it into the kitchen, was horrified traumatized mm. um so a day later the other package wow. arrives uh for the learned one dr galant i don't know how you say it, dr galanter which learned one. <laughs> the learned one we'll go with that big p, uh, big p. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he opens it he lost sight in one eye and hearing in one ear oh but survived God. um and then shortly after the bombing the switchboard at the veterans affairs medical center received a call saying you are next <gasps> so now he's like telling people what's now gonna he's happen. being a huge serial killer creep type behavior he calls the switchboard and says you are next so in july of 1993 the fbi had had enough and they're like we gotta put together a task force you know how the fbi loves a task force so love a good task force love it they put something called together called a unabom u-n-a-b-o-m Unabom Task Force, consisting of 125 FBI, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and U.S. Postal Inspection Service agents mm. in San Francisco to find this bomber once and for all. Wow. And what year is this? This is 1993. So it's okay. been going on since 78. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. And it's all over the place. Like, think about it. It's like once it's, it's an airplane, and then it's Vanderbilt University, and then it's- Yeah, for- forever they must have been thinking they were different people like yeah how could you even relate them and then uh oh the way the way they did though was he would put fc on all of right right but i'll get to that but that is one of the ways that they were like okay this clearly is the same guy Mm -hmm. but it's very confusing like sometimes it's a computer store parking lot and then it's like the head of some gas company like it's it's all over the place so the name unabomber interestingly enough i'm gonna tell you what it comes from they called him that because the bombs were typically sent to universities and airlines. So they just said oh. UNA. I never knew that. I thought it was like UNA, like one person. Yeah. So wait, universities. And airlines. So they just called it UNA bomber. 
U-N-A. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I had no fucking clue. I thought it was like a solo bomber, you know? That's what I, I thought. I thought, oh, one bomb at a time. Like, <laughs> just one, one at a time. Solo yeah. mission. Yeah. That's what I always thought. But apparently it's from universities and airlines because those were his primary targets that they could figure out. Wow. So the Unabomber investigation, uh, they set up a hotline to take calls and offered a $1 million reward for anyone who could provide information. What they didn't know is just how isolated this guy was. So, like, a lot of killers, they were explaining in the show, a lot of killers can't hide as well as they think they can because they have neighbors, they have family, they have somebody might suspect something, or he might slip up, or they might recognize his face in the grocery right. store. But he was so far removed from anybody that like society from society from electricity that like people just weren't (laughs) putting it together like barely anyone knew him um and we'll get to how he was caught but that's interesting in and of itself but so they were thinking someone has to recognize this guy someone has to know him and like nobody fucking knows who he is wow so there wasn't really much information in fact he actively sought ways to lead investigators off his scent and the problem is a lot of criminals are dumb he was not he was a literal Harvard PhD genius. Genius. Like a literal genius. <laughs> me saying literal genius makes me sound like the He's literally like least literally genius. the <laughs> smartest person in the whole world. He's like literally a genius. Um, <laughs> yikes. I told you I didn't go to Harvard, everybody. Calm down. Okay. So consistently, like I said, all these bombs contain a metal plate stamped with the initials FC, one mm-hmm. of which pierced that guy's heart, the person that he killed. Ugh. Yeah. So at the time, police didn't understand what FC meant. One theory was that FC was someone's initials, like he was signing the bomb. Hmm. Although later, so the Unabomber wrote some letters to newspapers claiming that it meant Freedom Club. And he was saying this was like eco-terrorists, like a group of eco-terrorists he was a part of that was responsible for the bombings. I mean, obviously it was just him, but he was kind of portraying this like big organization Sure. He wanted it to seem like there was this like group of warriors behind these bombs that were sure. responsible for it, even though it was just a Una bomber. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> solo I hear, mission. I, I hear you. I hear it. You know, I I'm thinking about those poor briefcase boys. Like they <laughs> they never they were knew. probably like, God damn it! Like we we should have just never even told him that like a club was something you want to be a part of. Oh, you're right. They're like, well, I hope they don't think we're in the Freedom Club, the FC. We're in the They're the like, BC, we were, the briefcase we were, club. The BB, the BB was. No, I just feel bad though. Like they probably are like shit. Like this guy, I. I mean, they have really have no attachment to this part of it. But you brought up a club, and I was like, well, first club he was in was the Briefcase Boys. They probably feel really He's icky about that left now. A club ever since then, I guess. Yeah. He was in the German club, the Coin Club. He's just chasing the high of a club, <laughs> being a member. <laughs> yeah, and so he said that he said that's what FC stood for. Authorities have suggested though that maybe it stands for an obscene phrase like fuck oh. computers oh which i thought was interesting at one point a fuck university capitalism wor- oh that's good i don't know yeah that's good that's probably better than fuck computers but who knows um so at one point this is really <laughs> it's like funny and sad uh at one point a university employee whose initials were fc was like <laughs> taken in as a suspect Oh, my God. They and probably were like, you need to come with us just fucking in case. The FBI was like, fucking come with us. And 
he openly had a contempt for computers and technology. So they were like, well, this fits. And he just yeah. like wrong name, wrong time, like he wrong hobby, wrong dislikes. And they took him in um, and he was later cleared of suspicion, thankfully. Uh, so one bomb that didn't detonate, there was a note inside that read Woo, W-U, sort of like the name, Woo. Okay. It works. I told you it would. RV. So now they're like, oh, shit, this bomb didn't explode and we've got it. We've got some initials. We got to figure out who Woo is and we have initials RV. It was all made up. Like, he just wrote shit. Well, yeah. Like, there's throw no them way. Off. I mean, realistically, if we were chasing down a 15-year bombing person, like, person who's bombing people. Yeah. And he never showed any clues before and now all of a sudden said rv i'd be like okay those are the two letters we can actively not <laughs> These are pay the, attention the to. non yeah yeah <laughs> but so yeah so he wrote like strange notes he put uh oh my god this is one of the wildest things he went so far as to enter a bus stop bathroom grab a few pubic hairs and then put them in the bombs so that they'd be like we have dna and it was oh just my random god. fucking people from the bus shelter those poor people who probably got pulled in by cops being like, are you the Unabomber? And they were like, what? Just pissed in the wrong bathroom. Oh, my God. Also Ugh. gross, but I'm imagining, uh, fingers crossed, there was like a, some at least toilet paper in between his fingers a glove, and a random something. person's pubes. <laughs> he went around and just like picked up pubic. Like that's how invested he was in just like fucking around with this. He was like. I will just send them into different directions all over the place. Jeez. So on December 10th of 94, he kills another victim. This time it's Thomas Mosser, the executive vice president of an advertising agency called Young and Rubicam. And then in 95, in April, he murdered Gilbert Brent Murray, president of the California Forestry Association, and he murdered him by mail bomb. So now he's gotten it together i guess as far as like his technique and he's now killed three people mm. uh two back to wow. back so around this time dr philip sharp at mit as well as dr richard roberts of the new england bio lab started receiving these sinister letters which warned it would be beneficial to your health to stop your research in genetics oh my god so he's threatening them um i guess he never sent one to the veterans affairs he gave up on that i don't really know uh, but he started sending threatening letters to people who were studying genetics. He had this idea that, like, they were trying to turn humans into computers and, like, one day we would all be, which, you know, is like that old sci-fi, like, they're trying to store yeah. our brains and whatever. And We can up, we can download ourselves that, into androids. I and... think he literally said they will, they're trying to download our brains. And it's like, I mean, I get that, but also that's not, like, some of these people are setting down syndrome. Like, stop. Right. That's not what's right. happening. Right. Um. So anyway, he <laughs> he killed these two more people. He starts writing threatening letters. And then Warren Hogue of the New York Times also received a letter from the Unabomber, which outlines the attacks thus far to kind of say, like, here's what I've done, basically to prove it's me. And he offers explanations as to why and how he picked his victims. Okay. So hang on. So before you tell me. <laughs> yeah. What, do you th what are your thoughts? Because it's just... Batched. all of this is all well, over i'm trying the place. to i'm trying to remember all of them one of them was the guy the guy who got stabbed in the heart mm -hmm. what was his deal was, did it have to do with their job i mean i know he, their owned, job a, to do with he owned a computer repair computer store, place. or vice president of a computer repair store okay then there was um 
Damn, I don't. I can only. The only thing I could relate it to is their jobs. Yeah, I, I mean it is. So it's it's basically their jobs, and he would go into town on his bicycle, go into the library, which he was known to do, and he would basically just research people's job titles, and like decide oh, if okay. they were threatening to him. If they were which, like, like, by the way, if you're going off of a standard description of someone's job, yeah, role, which is never exactly what it is, like that okay so no. you're just making sweeping generalizations because like Fully. so much more goes into a role versus what you know based on the company yeah geneticist you know? i imagine could mean zero to a 100. lot of things yeah, yeah. like <laughs> total different spectrum owning a computer store is not the same as like developing software like it's just not right yep. so he would basically go in the library do research find names and addresses and then find someone to be the return address and would just pick them based on their career path so or their industry i guess so here's a specific example according to his own letter mosser was chosen because of his work for a firm that helped exxon clean up its public image after the exxon valdez incident and the professors were selected because they were experts in certain fields presumably geneticism genetics he claimed to be part of an anarchist group so this is Uh, description of ted himself he claimed to be part of an anarchist group aiming to break down all society into very small completely autonomous units and discussed aspects of the explosive devices he also suggested a bargain if a lengthy manuscript was published the group would cease their terrorist activities the letter did Mm. add though that while they would cease their terrorist activities they reserved the right to engage in sabotage so even if they stop their terrorism, they Whoa. would still be allowed to sabotage. And sabotage, in his words, were, right? Was, let's hear those. Yeah, <laughs> was considered destruction of property rather than people. Why so, couldn't you just start and end there? Yeah, and you'd also think like that should be the worst of it maximum. You'd think, and I believe most people who are anarchists are, beh- are behind that. They're not like let's run around bombing humans. Yeah. At random and killing doesn't sound like you're helping anything no especially like if it could be their daughter or their assistant or anyone holding yeah. a package and or an entire airplane full of people like this just seems to me excessive um so ted was now on this role of sending letters he uh three of the letters were followed by a series of other letters to major publications which also demanded they publish this thirty-five thousand word manifesto he had written goodbye <laughs> they always have a fucking manifesto and it's always way longer than i'm it's even so... i don't have the energy for that it's just like you love to hear yourself talk we get it we get yeah. it couldn't you why why a manifesto that i have to read now couldn't you just like record yourself and then like send me the file at like three times the speed so yeah I like just it put faster? it in a podcast like everyone else yeah this is our on. manifesto hello get on Oh, right. Technology. Not his thing. Not his thing. Um, And so he had this 35,000 word essay slash manifesto, and he called it Industrial Society and Its Future. And the FBI called it the Unabomber Manifesto. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And it also explains what he was doing in those six years where he just like... What was was he doing? Writing this manifesto, this 35,000 word. Of course. Sorry. I thought in the manifesto... But in the manifesto, oh, it, oh, said, it explains. I, I took up a cooking class, and <laughs> anyway, got it. Got no, it. that, but that's that is what it sounded like. I was saying, um, <laughs> yeah, it explains that he was writing this manifesto and maybe taking a, a sushi, make sushi at home class. I don't know. Mm. So uh, he claimed that he would desist from terrorism if his demands were met, 
After deliberation among the publications, uh, it was advised that the essay should be published. So they went back and forth on this a lot. Like, we don't want to give anyone ideas and we don't want to, like, feed his ego. But also, we don't want him bombing more people just because we didn't put his letter out. Um, So this guy named Bob Guccione uh, published it. And he owned the magazine Penthouse. (laughs) So I... (laughs) don't know where this is going oh and my yet, god i'm fully invested okay so all it said was that and i was like well i need to know what the fuck is going on here so i went how to- did he get caught up in this mix exactly <laughs> i was like wait wait he's writing letters to the new york times or washington post how is pet house involved i need to know now so i went and did a little dig digaroo and um i found this paragraph on wiki Several wildly unsuccessful investments by Guccione, including the Penthouse Boardwalk Hotel and Casino, which lost $160 million, and a never-built nuclear fusion power plant, added to his publishing empire's financial woes. Guccione's efforts to regain sales and notoriety, which included attempts to get Monica Lewinsky to pose for the magazine, which was parodied in a sketch on Saturday Night Live in 1998, and offering the Unabomber a free forum for his views, failed to (gasps) increase readership. (laughs) Oh my god! With the rise of online access to often free pornography in the late 1990s, Penthouse's circulation numbers began to suffer even more. So this was a publicity stunt by Penthouse. Wow. Oh my god. (laughs) How on earth? I did not see that at all coming. That's why I was like, something is fishy. Like, something is up. I don't know what this guy is doing, but something's going on. Wow. I bet he didn't do this out of the goodness of his heart. Like, there's something happening. No, not happening. at all. So, I mean, also, like, his that. Monica Lewinsky thing. Like, Yikes. I mean, like, no part of this feels genuine. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems like he's kind of dug himself a hole. Uh, and he was trying to build a nuclear fusion power. I mean, listen, this guy. This guy was all over the place. He needed maybe a life coach is just he all He had a say. lot of ideas and really threw them all at the wall just to see what would come from it. And so. maybe none of it really stuck. Uh, but so Penthouse said, we'll publish it. And Ted was like, that's not good enough for me. Ted was not having it. He replied that Penthouse was less respectable than the New York Times. Poor Bob is like, wait. (laughs) Ow, I was trying to help. I almost got Monica Lewinsky. Um, (laughs) He replied that Penthouse was less respectable than the New York Times and the Washington Post. And to increase our chances of getting our stuff published in some respectable periodical, he would reserve the right to plant one and only one bomb intended to kill after our manuscript has been published. So basically, what? now he's so saying... He, so he uh, was saying, like, I've got one last in, last one in me. And yeah, yeah. after that, it's over. If you publish this manifesto, I'll only kill one more person. It's like, wait, How wait, about wait, wait, wait. zero? How about zero? Yeah, he's basically, like, upping his end of the deal, or their end of the deal, because they didn't follow through, I guess. But so the Washington mm. Post published the essay uh, in September of 95. And in Kaczynski's manifesto, he opens with the quote. So everyone's buying out these newspapers to read this fucking wild manifesto. They literally printed the entire 35,000 thing. Um, And so it opens with the quote, the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. Mm -hmm. And in a Rolling Stone article, it outlines the entire point of his manifesto, as he states, is revolution anarchy. Quote, its objective will be to overthrow not governments, but the economic and technological basis of the present society. Now, I'm going to read you a little snippet. Let's go. (laughs) You know what? This is what I meant when you were like, oh, maybe there's a poem in yours. There's a manifesto. There's literally a 35,000 word manifesto. Put some smooth jazz under it. It could be poetry. 
It could be really fucked up like jigsaw poetry. (laughs) Jigsaw poetry. (laughs) Oh, okay. Here's paragraph 128. Electricity, indoor plumbing, rapid long distance communications. How could one argue against any of these things? Yet all these technical advances taken together have created a world in which the average man's fate is no longer in his own hands, but in those of politicians, corporate executives, and remote anonymous technicians and bureaucrats whom he as an individual has no power to influence. So it's basically 35,000 words of that. Um, Boring. (laughs) uh, This part's interesting. Okay. Feminists are desperately anxious to prove that women are as strong and as capable as men. Clearly, they are nagged by a fear that women may not be as strong and as capable as men. That's another paragraph. What what a fucking, what a catch. What a catch. What a catch. You're right. You're right. I guess guess he's onto something that feminists are uh, desperate to be proven and seen as equal. Yeah. Uh, What a novel idea. (laughs) Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. One person whose ears pricked when the manifesto was released was Ted Kaczynski's brother, David's wife. Uh-oh. Well, duh. Can you imagine marrying into that family and all of a she, sudden this fucking guy is on the scene? She's in the thing, too, and she's basically saying exactly that. She's like, she's like, David always loved him. Like, it's his brother. But I was like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Yeah. And, like, as a sister-in-law, she was like, he hated me. He, like, sent us this weird letter on our wedding day. Like, it just clearly was not a healthy relationship between in-laws. Um... And so she, this whole time, is telling David, her husband, like, you need to look into your brother. And he said, at first, when she got this look in her eyes, he was, like, nervous that she knew something. And when he said it's your brother, he was like, I was so relieved. I was like, well, of course it's not my brother. Like, you know, Ugh. he he just was like, of course not. Like, I know David. He's like, it can't be. Yeah, it can't be. I know Ted's, like, weird, but he wouldn't, you know, be this weird, <laughs> this yeah. extra and murderous. So his wife is like. We need to read this manifesto and it's like, maybe my guy. I'm so sorry, but we're gonna have to read this. <laughs> my thing. dude, you married me, and <laughs> you made a vow. Um, so she was saying to him the whole time, basically, like, "Yo, something is up with your brother." And he was like, "No, no, no." And then when this manifesto was released, she's like, "Well, maybe we should go read the manifesto and see if this strikes any sort of memory or, uh, you know, relation, whatever." And so. Yeah. They went and all the newspapers had sold out at the local shop. So she's like, let's go check the internet. And he's like, I didn't know what the internet was. And oh, so. <laughs> wow. Time. I know. So they went to the library, which had the internet. And he's like, it was so surreal because I was reading this manifesto on the internet, which like he had never really used before. And he's reading this manifesto and he's like, his heart sank. Like the second he started reading, he was like, Fuck, it's fucking Ted. Ted. Yeah. He was like, it's Ted. And I guess if you see a 35,000 word essay that is this balloon, balloon, balloon I don't balloon know what I was trying to say. <laughs> balloon <Balloon-a-tunes. laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, I just can't just stick with noodles all the way to the top anymore. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to the artists because now I have to ask you, <laughs> please God, can you go draw some balloon tunes? Wow, Balloonitunes. How is that on a TV show? TM, 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 TM. It's all, it comes about, on after Oswald, the late night programming. It, it's just children. It's just, a, it's just a bunch of balloon animals all hanging out together. It's like a Geo and Junie and Mooney balloon animals. And it's just very cute. I can already tell. It's June and Moon Balloonitunes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't believe I'm I so just s- said that. And then I couldn't escape my way out of it. Oh. You... 
My brain is fried. Well done. My well brain done. is gone. I'm not anyway, kidding. Anyway, tell me about this balloon tune. <laughs> so this is this <laughs> fucking. <laughs> I'm so mortified. <laughs> I'm gonna pee my pants in like five seconds. <laughs> it's just such a perfect word. I don't know it's how. A... It just made sense, and then I said it out loud, and I was like, I guess that there's a reason it's... nobody says this. No, but there's a... why isn't why isn't anybody saying it? That's the that's a perfect word. That's like calling someone like a clown. Like here's a balloon to you know You've fucking balloon a tune yeah. who do you oh think you are God. who do you think you Dummy? are the Dumb unabomber uh. oh my God. i'm sorry that's officially a word like that's in the doc <laughs> where that that's it documented Oh my god. Oh, well, so that's I guess how I was trying to describe his manifesto. So we could just leave it at that. Um Perfect. But so his brother read it, it was like there's only one balloon tune I know that would write something like this and it is Teddy boy. <laughs> and so Ted uh-huh. is the one who he was like, "Fuck, I know it's him. I know it's him." And interestingly enough, he wrote in, David wrote in his memoir, uh which is called Every Last Tie: The Story of the Unabomber and His Family. Uh he said he didn't even remember ever hearing the word Unabomber before this. Like this wasn't even something mm. that was like on his hori- like it wasn't even part right. of his vocabulary. Like it, it well, was he just... also wasn't touching the internet. He was clearly True. like not around. Or yeah, something. he was like, you know, reading the paper, but there's only so much he had like heard about this and and you know, his wife saying it's your brother. He was like, oh, he was like dismissed it. Like, oh, come on, you know, preposterous. Right. So right, right. he reads this manifesto and he's like, okay, this reminds me a lot about these letters Ted used to write in to publications um, about the negative effects of technology. Mm. And so to be sure, he hired a private investigator named Susan Swanson to kind of take the letters that he had, take the manifesto, see if they're if she thought they were related, if they were written by the same person. And it's just very sad because he, t- like, you can see how absolutely heartbroken he is because mm. he's the younger brother. And he said when he was little, he asked his mom, like, what is, like, what happened to Ted? Why doesn't he have any friends? And his mom described the story of him being in the hospital and right. being so, and she said, don't ever leave your brother because he doesn't, oh, he can't be left behind. Shit. Don't now ever, he's got all these problems. Yeah. And he's like, she said, don't ever abandon him. And he, and he swore to never abandon his brother. And now he's like, well, shit, I can't, like, yeah. he's clearly a very, very, very sensitive, empathetic person. And so right. he was just stuck in this horrible position. And so he hires this private investigator, obviously praying that she's like, no, this is not the same person. Yeah. And then um, he, she went, I'm sorry, my guy, it's for sure the balloon like, tune. your wife is right. It's the balloon yeah. tune all along. Um, the balloon tune in law, actually. Yeah. Yep. So... Meanwhile, David tried to do some snooping of his own. In November of 95, he wrote a letter to his brother being like, hey, why don't I come visit you in Montana? And uh, Ted's response was this. I get just choked with frustration at my inability to get our stinking family off my back once and for all. And stinking family emphatically includes you. I don't ever want to see you or hear from you or any other member of our family again. So. Wow. Wow. Not interested in... Even though him and his brother were, like, in theory, kind of close? Yeah, so his... <laughs> David was like, uh, okay, um... It's like, well, that's the nail in the coffin. I'm pretty sure I was still in denial until all of a sudden yeah. this behavior happened, so... He was very taken aback, and I think... 
his brother had been growing distant and living out in the middle of nowhere and like didn't like his wife so i think they were already kind of growing apart but it was still just so difficult for him clearly emotionally to follow through with this despite even his brother being kind of a jackass in this letter and do you think he actually legitimately meant that or do you think he was trying to like keep his brother away so he wouldn't get caught oh i don't know that's a really good question Maybe he was like, it, it's just better if you're not around. And he just thought, if I'm really like, if I lash out, then you won't come. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. I have no clue. It could very well be just like him trying to keep his solo lifestyle yeah. and like not have him visit his bombshell, his literal bomb. As he's factory. in the middle of almost getting arrested. Yeah. Full of bombs surrounded by the FBI. Yeah. Um, so in early 96, uh, an investigator urged FBI hostage negotiator and criminal profiler Clinton R. Van Zant to compare the manifesto and the letters that David had from his brother. And when they looked at them, the uh, criminal profiler determined that there was an 80, I'm sorry, a 60% overlap. Uh, and so they, he was like, it's worth telling the FBI. I think there's 60% chance that this is the same person, or at least wow. 60% of the content seems to be written by the same person. So they're right. like, let's let the FBI know. And when the FBI took a look at this, they were like, okay. And it took a while because at this point, there were like thousands of leads coming in every day. And like my <sighs> uncle, my brother, my boyfriend is the Unabomber, you know? And so they have to yeah. filter through all these. But finally, they look at the evidence and they're like, oh, I think this is the guy we're looking for. Yeah. And so they are able to get a search warrant of Ted's house. And when they search his cabin... They uh, find a live bomb. Uh, well, there you have it. They- <laughs> exhibit A. I was like, what's the phrase? Uh, exhibit A. Exactly. They find a bomb and they have to defuse it on scene. So that's cool and fun. Um, they discovered detached parts of bombs, handwritten journal entries, which together totaled 40,000 pages. <laughs> okay. So there was more to this manifesto than, uh, than we knew was- about. Oh, that didn't, by the way, include the manifesto. So the manifesto what? was totally separate. The 40,000 wow. pages was ju- were just like journal entries. Holy shit. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, like if I lived in the woods what and had no... What else would you do? If I didn't have social media and all I had was a pen, I guess I'm writing. Fuck. Well, you have like, a bomb, too. I mean... Okay, yeah, you've got other things to do, I <laughs> a guess. A pen and a bomb. But uh, yeah, you can only bomb so much in a year. So I guess the, the rest <laughs> writing was writing. is cheaper and easier. So. It is. And it's kind of less likely to send you to prison, I would think. But yeah, what do I know? So they find these journal entries, 40,000 pages of them. The entries were comprised of bomb making experiments, descriptions of the Unabomber crimes. Every uh, experiment, as he called it, had a number that correlated to it. So, like, the guy in the um, whose fingers had been blown off, he was like, right. I was, uh, I forget if it was, I think it was 125. He's like, I was experiment number 125. Like, <gasps> it was, like, listed in Ew. the... So, it, it goes even further to show you that, like, he didn't just see, like, women as yes, not even good objects. Point. He saw everybody as, I guess, maybe at best an object. Or, like, a subject or, like, a... Yeah, something like part to observe. Of, something mm, like, part of a greater experiment that he was doing. Which, like, is he legitimately, um, he ha- has psychopathy or sociopathy or whatever? N- um, that was not ever uh, determined, I don't think. Because le- it, it seems, it seems like he, like, shows some signs and just kind of, like, being more curious about the world than, under, like, knowing how to empathize with it. Right, like, he, he can study it to a certain yeah. extent or understand you can, it. You can really study it by, like, oh, Experiment 125 fingers got blown off, Yes, you know? and, like, I didn't accomplish my goal, which was to kill him. Ugh. It said they failed. I mean, it's it's disturbing. Um, wow. 
so yeah he had a numerical code um a lot of the pages were written in full code and he had it was just all numbers and then he had a key code written next to it uh and so they were able to decode what he had written so for example after his second he he had a cipher for himself so okay here's the thing he had his own cipher and he later said he wrote it in cipher so that if somebody like a neighbor or his family member or somebody Ah. came over they wouldn't just open and see bomb it was sort of like he wrote in code just in like he he knew somebody could just open it and like decipher it but he was like in case somebody happened to glance at it which like probably wouldn't happen but in case David was like, knock, knock, bro right. is here. You know, he didn't want him to just like, I showed up anyway. <laughs> Remember me, your favorite friend. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was what he said. And so there was a code and they were able to decode it. And so after Bob number two, for example, he had written experiment number two. I had hoped that the victim would be blinded or at least have blown his hand off or be otherwise maimed. Well, live and learn. I wish I knew how to get a hold of some dynamite. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, so really just like critical, critically thinking of these things as just test subjects and no emotion to them at all. Trying to, right. And at one point he even laughed because someone said like, do you have any uh, remorse about attacking like an airline or whatever? And he was like, he's like, I couldn't stop laughing at the thought that I would feel sorry for attacking someone who works at an airline. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Kind of creepy. So to be clear also like i said the forty thousand pages did not include you know our favorite book industrial society and its future um those separate so on april 3rd of 96 the fbi were like okay we got you bud we're gonna arrest you they got him at his cabin and he was charged with possession of the components of a bomb based on evidence found in his cabin they had looked at it while he was out right and then then he he just like walk in one day or something then they knew he was home and they like surrounded him yeah gotcha so up until this point, the Unabomber was the most expensive investigation in FBI history, costing over $50 million. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. Just one guy, $50 million. Wow. Um, despite Ted Kaczynski's lawyers urging him to consider an insanity plea, he rejected it. And he refused. He tried to fire his lawyers for pushing an insanity plea because his whole thing was, I did this for a cause, for a reason. Like, I don't he want... wanted the He wanted the credibility. Yeah, he wa- yeah, exactly. He's like, I don't want this to look like the ravings of a madman. I want this to look like I had a a real I'm proud of my work. Yeah, and it was for a cause, the like anarchist yeah. cause, the anti-capitalist cause. And so he was like, if if they call me insane or say I have mental issues, quote unquote, then what yeah, what credibility do I get? It's all down the drain. Everything I worked on it was right. okay. So it's like, ooh, ugh. I'm I'm so glad you stand by your morals so yeah, strongly. Yeah. This you'll this you'll uh commit to, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So he kept rejecting an insanity plea to the point that he was like, I'm going to defend myself in court. But um when he found out, but the judge was like, No. <laughs> uh you it's too late. You can't do that. So after a suicide attempt in jail, he found out they were trying to do an insanity plea and he tried to take his own life that night. That's okay. like how serious he was about not doing that um so a court-appointed psychiatrist diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia but still said that he was fit to appear in court etc um speak for himself and the u.s judge district judge was like no you can't defend yourself you need to stick with your lawyers it's too late right so on january 22nd 1998 instead of going through trial he kind of shocked everyone by just uh admitting guilt and accepting 
a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole in exchange for not basically going through with the insanity plea. Wow. He was like, it's either that or I just say I'm guilty and go straight to prison. So that's what he did. Oh, okay. So he's currently serving his sentences in a maximum security prison in Colorado. And after his arrest, it was speculated that he may have had another alias, uh, one you may have heard of, called the Zodiac Killer. Really? They think he'd be the Zodiac Killer? Well, they kind of think everyone was the Zodiac Killer, (laughs) to be fair. But there is a theory that he could be the Zodiac Killer. Um, And it became suspicious because Ted had lived in the San Francisco Bay Area from 67 to 69. And both he and the Zodiac Killer were extremely smart, had an interest in bombs and codes, um, oh. And both had written letters to newspapers demanding they be published, their work right. be published. However, oh, wow. that is... it, it, no, there's some weird crossover, but then you think about the MO and like the Zodiac Killer didn't bomb people and right. Ted Kaczynski didn't stab people. Right. As far as we know, at least like their right. MOs don't match. So it's a weird coincidence, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Hasn't been proven yet. So for more information, I recommend you watch the mini series. But other than that, that is the story of good old Teddy. Teddy boy. Wow. Well done. The end. The Whew. end. That was a long one. Apologies. Oh my god, that was really long. Sorry. Mine was really long too. I thought mine was going to be short and then it didn't happen. Oops. Well, go figure. Just us a couple bold tunes we- thinking that we... <laughs> Why would we ever say to? our episodes are going to be short? What a dumb thing to say. Uh, remember when they used to actually be 45 minutes what were we doing <laughs> i don't know let's go back to that i yeah, think that we're more, we have more in-depth info where research yeah, is we, well better done we're not like oh what does uh wiki say all right, okay, <laughs> <the end. laughs> all right anyway. well thank you everyone for uh tuning in it's uh by now we know the results of the webbies when this comes out i don't know what that is yet but thank you again to everyone who has voted um i hope everyone had a good mother's day and now we've got no holidays in our way except until the big ones the big ones (laughs) birthday Uh, time uh christine texted me a couple a couple days ago and was like exactly one month until uh until your birthday and then i had a near heart attack because I went, oh my god, I have been literally inside since. That's I was so weird. I don't remember getting you a text or getting text from you on the fourth of May. You want to know why? Because I didn't want to say thirty days or until you're thirty. <laughs> well, did you see my post on Instagram? My mom said, "In one month you'll be thirty. Ha ha. And I was yes, like, and then I said, "I'm you. frantically swiping through Bumble BFF right now to find a new younger friend." <laughs> <laughs> I've already done that with you. I've got my younger friend. I'll have to replace you next year when you turn thirty. I know. I don't. I won't blame you. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you, everyone, and uh, from our balloon tune hearts to yours. I hope that uh, everyone has a, a happy week coming hey. up. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. And that's why we drink. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.